Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about the astrology and the meaning of the zodiac sign Gemini with astrologers Camille Michelle Gray and Nicholas Polamonakos. So welcome, both of you, to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining me during Gemini season. Um, so just to get the data down, today is Tuesday, uh, June 7th, 2022, starting at 12.03 p.m. in Denver, Colorado. This is the 356th episode of the show, and this is the third in my series of signs on the Zodiac where we do a deep dive into the meaning of each of the signs. And um, today I'm having both of you join me because each of you has Gemini prominent in your chart. Um, Camille, you and I have been talking about doing this episode for a month now, and uh, what are your Gemini placements? Gemini rising and Mars in Gemini. Perfect. Uh, do you mind if I show your chart? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Let me just put that up on the screen for those watching the video version. So you've got 24 Gemini rising, Mars at zero degrees of Gemini, and Mercury's over there in Capricorn at 12 degrees of Capricorn. Perfect. And Nicholas, what about you? 20 degree Gemini sun, uh, nine degree Mercury in Gemini, and I have zero Venus in Gemini. I love that. So between the two of you, we've got pretty much almost all of the inner planets uh, in the signs of Gemini. So that's a very good coverage, I think, for this episode in terms of your qualifications. Yes, I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me put up uh, again for the video viewers our Gemini stats card that Paula Bellamini designed for me, which shows um, the symbol for Gemini. And Gemini uh, comes from the Latin word, which comes from a Greek word, which just means the twins because Gemini is the sign of the twins. Um, it's in terms of the stats for Gemini, it's an odd sign in terms of odd versus even since it's the third sign. So it's said to be as a result of that, a diurnal or masculine sign. Uh, it's said to be an air sign. So it's associated with the element of air when it comes to the four classical elements of Greek philosophy of earth, air, fire, and water. It's a mutable sign in terms of the modalities of cardinal, fixed, and mutable because it falls at the end of the spring season in the northern hemisphere. And finally, it's said to be ruled by the planet Mercury, and that's the primary planet that's associated with the sign of Gemini. And so that's one of the primary things that informs some of the significations of Gemini are these four qualities of masculine, airy, mutable, and ruled by Mercury. Um, it's also said to be the detriment of Jupiter, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more later. So I think those are the main stats, and those are the main things that we usually focus on in these episodes, just in terms of understanding the archetypal qualities of the sign. And that's what we're going to go for, is trying to shoot for understanding some of the higher level archetypes or umbrella concepts, and then from there also getting into some of the, some of the details. Um, yeah. So where, Camille, where should we start or what's your usual starting point when you're trying to talk about the signs or explain them to people? Yeah. I like to just start with the most basic fundamental um, kind of attribute for the signs. And for Gemini, my starting point is uh, awareness, to be aware of one's environment, to be curious about one's environment. And if you think about it, um, you know, coming after Taurus, which came after Aries, we have this burst of life. Then we have life that is kind of sustained and maintained through Taurus. And then we have the introduction of Gemini, which then becomes aware about its environment, 
aware that there are other people uh, sparking with awareness as well. And from that kind of base point, we get the, the kind of classic jumping off point to communication and talking and dealing with messages. I love that. That's perfect. So that ties in with something I talked about previously that I'm really fascinated by, which is the notion that each sign of the zodiac has some sort of corrective quality that almost like counterbalances or contrasts with the sign that came before it. And one of the things that we talked about in the last episode on Taurus was that Taurus as a fixed earth sign has a very slow kind of plodding quality. Um, and one of the keywords I think for that episode was, was don't rush me is it was like a, like Taurus keyword. And, um, Gemini is different though, because the corrective quality for that is that things get quicker, things get faster and start moving at a much more brisk pace when it comes to Gemini as like one of the qualities, I think it seems like, right? Absolutely. I would agree. Yeah. That mutable air kind of like you can't see or catch where it's going and it can be halfway around the world in like a couple of seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost like Taurus is don't rush me and Gemini is like, don't keep me in one place. Like yeah. just don't, don't hold me down. Like, don't hold uh, me down. I, yeah, I have to be anywhere at any time, at any instant. And, and and on a whim, it seems, but in the contrast to Taurus, yeah, yeah, right. So there's a quickness in that, and that comes with Mercury. Mercury is the fastest visible moving planet when it comes to astrology, and in terms of the planets, you know, at least compared to the Moon, which is is sort of a planet in astrology, but is also a satellite. Um, but besides the Moon, Mercury is the fastest, and it also of the planets changes direction and speeds the most frequently um, because it'll go retrograde three times a year, which is much more frequent than some of the other planets that go retrograde much more infrequently. So Mercury is constantly, um, as the moving planet of G Gemini is constantly almost changing directions, changing its mind, trying different things. And Gemini as a mutable sign also has that quality of adaptability because we're moving away from the middle of the season, the middle of the spring in the Northern Hemisphere, with which Taurus is associated with. And we're getting to the later part of the spring where um, things are starting to change and it has this double quality. And all the mutable signs in ancient astrology, they used to be called double-bodied signs because they have that sort of duality to them of being sort of having one foot in one season and one foot in the other in some sense. Yeah, you're dealing with the transitions. The transitions is interesting to me. You know, if we look at it the way we do astrology, as we're starting with Aries and you know, Taurus, Gemini is the first example of the mutability in a sense it's shown to us if we go in that order. Uh, and, and in the Western Hemisphere, too, I think this that critical moment of the in between space between the Taurus and in, in, the, in the end of April and the May and then going into uh, June, it's I think culturally too for the Western Hemisphere is a very major transition point because the next season is summer. Um, it's a completely different vibe than going into fall and uh, the other seasons. So for me, there, there's a certain type of uh, vibrancy, as in we're moving towards the light in a sense. Uh, and so that's the feeling I get from the first mutable sign in Gemini. So 
Yeah, I like that. And it made me or it reminded me of that feeling of like getting out of school, which tends to kind of align a little bit with when Gemini season starts um, and how that mirrors like the freeness and the movability of Gemini, because it's like now I'm out, I can kind of do what I want. I can play around and kind of have fun uh, in my environment. So, yeah, that that changeness and how um, it takes on that Gemini quality of just being a little bit more breezy at that time of year. Yeah. And so as I was watching this, because we're doing this series, and today the sun is at um, right in the middle of Gemini. At this point, it's at 16 degrees of Gemini. And I've been really paying attention to, as we're doing this series, and I'm trying to record each episode and release it while the sun is moving through um, the sign that we're talking about over the course of the next like 12 months, over the course of this year, and I was really paying attention to the seasonal qualities recently as I was doing these episodes and noticed that like the spring really peaks and reaches reaches its fullest potential during Taurus season, during the fixed sign, where the quality of fixed is that there's not a lot of change, not a lot of movement, because you're right in the middle of the season and it's sort of reached um, the culmination of what that season is about in some sense during the fixed sign. And by the time you get to Gemini, it's really started to move into something else. And so I think that's going to be a quality that will come up a lot when we talk about all the mutable signs, which is this notion of changeability or transitioning into something else, um, and therefore also having a, a sort of flexibility or adaptability and there may be not any other mutable sign that is more like that than Gemini in terms of the notion of um, nimbleness or, or sort of adaptability. Yeah, especially after, my opinion, the most stubborn sign of them all. So, yeah, the most fixed. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, interesting you said something about like the seasons with the Taurus because if I think you said here we are doing this 16 degree Gemini sun, if I think about 15, 16 degree Taurus sun, in a sense, I in a sense peaking, you know, if you're pagan, Wigan, you dealing with Beltane that whole week, that that is like the the highest, the biggest expanded part of a fixed sign in Taurus there, that energy. And then you start to transition when you move away and, and it's kind of overlapping here when we're coming into the mutable sign. So it's completely different, the midpoint in Taurus and the midpoint of Gemini, that is for sure. And, and I think this midpoint of Gemini is really like, oh, here comes summer. Here we are. You know, it's right there. So um, yeah, the equinox, the summer or summer solstice is like right around the corner and you can kind of feel it at this point because we're getting there, we're getting so close and you can have the sense that there's something new that's coming up very frequently, even though you're still technically in the previous season. I've seen people on Twitter always saying, already saying like the summer is going by so fast, but it's it's not even summer yet. It's still, you know, this is just the end of spring. Um, so let's back up a, a bit and talk a little bit about, um, so Gemini is a Mercury ruled sign. And one of the, the, um, keywords that comes up so frequently for Gemini is communication and for Mercury as well, of course. But Gemini, I want to say one of its qualities out of most of the signs that I think it gets associated with or all of the signs is like talkativeness and communication as an overarching principle that manifests in many different ways, but is probably one of the most core keywords for, for Gemini in some way. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of the beginning of, um, you know, perceiving, having awareness, and then sharing those thoughts with other people. Um, and the most primary and immediate way that we can do that, of course, is with talking or with white writing. Um, so communication there, but then uh, also just adding to the pantheon of communication. It can be you know, uh, photography, it can be communication through art or even through body movements at times. So that communication, you know, kind of as long as it's conveying a message um, is still all within the realm of, of that Gemini archetype. One of the things you did and, and said during that, that I thought reminded me of something actually that's really important in core, which is that Gemini is also associated with the the hands and the arms. And that's that's a very Gemini trait to sort of like use your hands and use gestures as part of a, a means of communicating things besides just using your words? Absolutely. I'm like trying to control <laughs> even right now, like how much I'm talking with my hands, but right. certainly like it engages the body in that way. And then the ways that um, you can use your hands or use your arms, for instance, like playing the guitar, um, still kind of a message through art form, but uh, you no, know, using that Gemini ruled body part. Yeah. You know, another example of this is sign language. Uh, you know, a major, just another way of translating of, of, of language and symbolism, you know, too. And, you know, if I if go back, we're talking about this, I, I think too, is, I think, I just said it, I think. And it's that for that the initial part of wanting to label things and how you construct, let's say, a sentence before that you are labeling, you're wanting to logically put a word to something. You know, so it starts there and then it gets deeper and deeper. That's a language. You construct a sentence, you construct a paragraph and it becomes language. Same thing with, with as you uh, mentioned, playing, using the hands to play music. You're constructing notes, you're learning, and then you're sending the message. Uh, so there's so many ways this happens. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, uh, other things rather than words. You know, you said, you said photography and, and I was a professional photographer for 12 years. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's the, there's a structure that you learn shooting pictures and so on and so forth, but still you're also putting together certain shades and symbols to construct the language. And then you show it with no words. And it's a beautiful marriage between the technical ability for instance, for uh, photography or for guitar, um, but how the output or how the message itself can be, you know, subtle or like artistic or symbolic, et cetera. So all of that is still Gemini as well. Yeah. And when I did the Mercury episode last year, one of the things we focused on from an astronomical standpoint of just understanding where that's coming from symbolically with Mercury, and I think that it also relates to Gemini, is just that um, you know, the sun is the center of our solar system, and in some ways, uh, well, in many ways, all light is emanating from the sun at the very center of our solar system. And Mercury is the first planet in between the sun and all of the other planets. And so, in some ways, there's this symbolic quality of Mercury acting as a go-between between that that light and that source at the center of everything. That is kind of enlivening everything and is acting as the sort of spirit of the universe or of the solar system in some sense, and Mercury, which is somehow transmitting that um, back and forth between all the other planets, or acting as a bridge between the rest of the solar system and the center of it. And I think when you focus in on that notion of Mercury as a go-between or somebody that can 
um, transmit things back and forth, you start getting to the core of the archetype um, that becomes very relevant for Gemini and the many different forms of acting as a go-between in order to transmit something, which is essentially what communication is. But that also then leads to other very more specific mercurial or Gemini-related things like um, you know, reporters, for example, being a, a sort of Gemini thing, um, people who you know transfer information about things or go to the source of something and then report back what they saw. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so um, in terms of that, um, I was trying to think of some some chart examples and some of the people that I wanted to mention in terms of that. Um, one of them that was was really good is just I've noticed that people with an emphasis of Gemini placements sometimes have a facility, really good an aptitude with words and a way for communicating in a way that's really impressive, either in written form or in spoken form. And one of my favorite um, written form communicators was Anthony Bourdain, who was a chef or was a cook in New York. And then he wrote this book, Kitchen Confidential, that was just like kind of talking about um, the behind the scenes of what it's like in the world of chefs and of professional chefs and cooking and, and sort of saying these things. And But he had a very good way of communicating things very poetically. And he was born with um, Leo rising and Mercury and Venus and the South Node in Gemini in the 11th house. And um, he also had a way of communicating things very poetically in um, not just in written form, but also on his television show where he did like a travel show and he like traveled around um, and liked exposing himself to like different cultures and different foods and understanding different um, cultures through their food. And then describing it or writing about it and speaking about it in very poetic terms is one of his his things. Yeah. And that Mercury in the 11th house just being stimulated by the community that it just happens to be in. Mm. Um, and I always found the most compelling part of his show and of his life was his willingness to sit down with literally anybody, um, which I think is also a quality of Gemini. It's like, if there's information to be gotten here, I'm going to get it. <laughs> I don't mind where it's coming from. Right. Um, but yeah, I always found it so impressive how he could talk and relate to anybody uh, in that show. Yeah, and I, I think too, it, uh, with that chart in particular, you saw his Mercury, and it's like, if I saw it correctly, it was scoring Mars and Pisces. You know, mm -hmm. that Mercury in Gemini in the 11th is what we're talking about, like the community on many different levels. If you think even before he wrote his book, he was in the community of just chefs and cooks and in New York and all that, and then he just level by level with community. But I think the emotional part came through his Mercury that the square that he had there, you could see the connectiveness of wanting to intertwine with anything and everything in the world. You could say it's more a Piscean energy there. Also, him being a Cancer's son and what it is with home and, and the hearth and the bowl of soup, you know? I mm. think it's all coming through his Mercury and through that 11th house. And you, so you could see all the layers of him. And, and when you said uh, the, mentioned the word poetic, mm. um, I think even in itself, Mercury and Gemini could be poetic. But there is that in this case, there's that watery part that comes through his Mercury and, 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 and brings that emotional connectiveness. Um, you know, it wasn't just him reporting, it was always personal. 
it always was personal connection on an emotional mm. level, but it was, you know, he was ciphering that uh, through his Mercury. At least that's off the bat here looking at that. But uh, yeah, and speaking of that square to Mercury, something that I always remember about him is that he was a blunt speaker. Uh, right. just yeah. spoke his mind. I don't like this. I do like this. What the hell is this? <laughs> um, yeah. That too can be Gemini as well. Uh, just getting that extra um, from that Mars placement. So, Yeah, he didn't like to mince words. No. Um, so that brings up, so in spe- speaking of words, one of my other examples that somebody on Twitter mentioned today or reminded me of was there was um, – a debate back in 2008 when Barack Obama was running for president for the first time. Um, we didn't have his birth time at first and we just had a birth date and the moon in that chart with the untimed chart was either in very late Taurus or was in early Gemini. And um, there was actually like an active debate about that in the astrological community at the time, like whether he seemed more like a moon in Taurus or moon in Gemini and I was like arguing with another astrologer, and I was like, he's obviously a moon in Gemini because he's obviously a really gifted orator. And having a facility with words is a pretty common Gemini trait. And um, as we were just talking about with Anthony Bourdain, and he wouldn't otherwise have any Gemini placements except for that moon in the sign of Gemini. And so it's not that you know somebody can't be gifted with words or, or be good at speaking or writing without Gemini placements, but it was just one of those things that pushed me in the direction of i think he was born later in the day when the once the moon moved into gemini rather than earlier and then once his birth certificate was actually released um that ended up being confirmed uh and so here's his chart he has aquarius rising with the moon at three degrees of gemini in the fifth whole sign house pretty closely conjunct the degree of the ic at 28 degrees of of leo or 28 degrees of taurus yeah, and you know, I think that's been borne out not just in the 2008 election, but just during the course of his career in terms of one of the most gifted speakers or public speakers of a of a generation, and having a way with words that's um, really effective and really poetic in some way. Yeah, especially because um, there's the moon placement in Gemini. It just reminds me of how during his. Uh, many campaigns, uh, he seemed to like speak to the heart of people, or he was just able to like really connect with and rile the emotions up of people um, that were his supporters, while also just uh, you know stating the facts or you know being very Gemini and straightforward in that way, but still having that connectedness emotionally. Yes, if if, if it was if he had a Taurus moon. I, the timing, yeah. I, I no offense to the Taurus moons out there, but th- it's about timing too. I, I, with the Gemini moon, it's there's a sense of timing and knowing what to say at, at the right time and on the fly, it, it, not planned. You know, it might be more planned with the Taurus moon on a different pace, but it's for sure Gemini moon because uh, to go back to knowing to stating the facts, but also connecting in a certain way. But there's a lot of timing going on, even though a lot of those speeches, they're written beforehand. But when you never you saw him talking off the cuff, you can totally tell when he was doing it. And, oh, and, yeah. it was, and he knew when to do it. He knew when to go off the teleprompter and to come across a certain way. And you, you have to, f- you're gauging and you're tapping into something when you do that. That's something probably is going to come up here in this video is, the, the timing of things, the timing when, when the mercurial timing that seems like on a whim or out of the blue, but really it, it, it's a dialed in conduit 
to a, a certain magic. And, and Obama had it for sure. So Gemini moon all the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, with his Leo placements and also with that Gemini moon in the fifth house, I think there is a quality to Gemini and to Mercury of knowing when to perform, <laughs> knowing when to like be a certain way, especially when you're thinking about the mutability, um, a way that you can kind of walk into the room, read it and kind of intuitively know then how to present yourself or maybe what to say. And I think that's something that uh, Obama had in, in droves. Yeah. And just a, a quickness. Um sort of to being able to respond to respond to something quickly. Um, one of the things I was thinking about recently and talking about, I think on the last forecast, that is an impressive trait that I don't always have, but I'd like to develop more, which is the ability to do like small talk better. Um, like let's say with a stranger, like somebody you've run into, you know, you've got like an elevator conversation, you have like five seconds to have very quick, not super meaningful back and forth, but to like, you know, leave a good impression and say something witty or or what have you. Um, that's something that Gemini really excels at is, and, you know, sometimes can get criticized for, for being too, too shallow or too superficial and not, um, you know, going in deep or not going long, but instead being sort of short and quick. But sometimes there's, there's many different situations where that can actually be advantageous and that can be kind of like a skill that, um, is, is good to develop in some circumstances like that. Absolutely. I'm not yeah. good at it either, but I'm trying. <laughs> okay. I, I, um, Nicholas, you actually, I think you excel. This is one of those areas huh. where I think you do pretty well when I was thinking of Gemini people. Yay. Y yes. <laughs> at like you know, com I conferences. So, so many people, I know you primarily initially from the Northwest Astrology Conference. And one of the things I always remember about you is just seeing you go up to people that are new who are attending their first conference and then like striking up a conversation with them and sort of becoming friends or welcoming them into the conference um, through just striking up a little conversation of some sort? Yes, I can do that. Um, was I born with it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but it takes some training. It's going to sound, this is going to sound funny, but um, you know, I think having Mercury and Gemini and, and, and other people seen Mercury and Gemini, like, like we looked at Bourdain's chart as Mercury and Gemini, but I, I don't did, is Anthony the type of person you would think that would walk in and immediately say something? Well, first of all, he was famous. It was that, but if we just, he, let's just say he wasn't famous and can, would he walk into the room and start talking to people immediately? I don't think so. I think mm. Anthony's timing was a little bit different because of the emotional watery parts of his chart. So his pacing was different. So let's say someone like me or someone close to me that has just, just right there, Mercury and Gemini. Yes, there, there is this thing that you dial into, and and it's not just confidence. Not about confidence. It's just you can't help it. It's like there's messages coming through you in the moment, and you you're not even processing them. It, it's just happening. It's it's just things are coming out of your mouth. <laughs> and and I think the art to all this, and what I meant earlier about training, is that you it's about the timing aspect of it when to do it and when not to do it because i think there's plenty of gemini's out there or someone with let's say with a certain type of mercury and gemini placement where you're overstepping boundaries and you're you're saying things at the wrong time and and you have to learn so you know the world's your your experimental place and if you're aware you start to train yourself when to do it when not to do it and when you do get better at this then that's the timing that comes in because then you don't have to say too much, but when you do say it, 
It's huge. It can totally affect things. Now, to go back to the example you said, like, oh, you go to conferences, so on and so forth. You know, yeah, I could do that because I, I know what it was to not know anybody and, and, you know, to do that. But honestly, my training ground was the restaurant business. That's what my training ground was, was I grew up in the restaurant business with my family and I didn't know how to talk to people, but I was forced to. And that's how I learned. So um, even though I have that placement in my chart, I think there's, like I said, a training element to all this. If you're going to be um, good at it, I would say. So, yeah. That raw Gemini energy can come in a little bit too hot. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> so needing to read the room and train yourself around it is certainly a key. Yeah, sometimes one of the downsides of Gemini energy can be talking for the sake of talking without necessarily saying anything, um, but there being a lot of words, but there not being a lot behind the words, and that can be that can be a downside. And there's some famous Gemini's um, like that. I, I think you know, for like, I mean, one of them was you know Donald Trump, for I was example. Say. Yeah, that's one one recent example that's sort of like relevant these days is Trump had. Um, Leo rising with the sun in Gemini conjunct the North Node and Uranus in Gemini in the eleventh house, and you know he can talk and and like on one hand has been able to use that to his benefit of just being able to talk and talk and talk and talk about whatever like in the moment, but like sometimes you realize that he's just talking and there's not like a lot of depth of knowledge behind what he's saying. He's just like filling the air with words. Absolutely. And specific to him, um, and maybe also kind of related to Gemini is like the charm factor. It's like, I don't right. know what you're saying or what any of this means, but I like the the presence. <laughs> right. Yeah, there can be a, a charmingness to Gemini that's very appealing um and very it's not not comforting. What what is the, how can we describe that charmingness of Gemini? It's like it's interesting because it's kind. It kind of buzzes like a little bit, or in some sense. It's the it's the play on words. First off, that's one mm. way. Is how one can come. Like Gemini can come up within the moment a play on words and and reading the environment or the person in the situation. It's it. There's something to it. I'm admitting it. Like I, I'm reading people's body languages sometimes, so on and so forth. And I'm like, I I know what to say. So you're bringing up an example like Donald Trump. Who is who he is knows Adapt, what to adapt, adaptability, adaptability that's, knows that's what word. to say and knows what button to push. He's got okay. that down. I mean, he has it down. Now, now there's the other part of this, and there's the communication part and the flashiness and the charm and the way it is. But we have to remember the other part of it. I th and we just call it a high level Gemini when you're dealing with eth ethics and morality, because it comes down to this in the end. The bigger story with Gemini is what are you saying and why, in a sense, what are you doing? Are you doing it to manipulate a situation? Because Geminis are masters at this. They can, they're a trickster, exactly, it's a tr trickster aspect. So are you just saying things, the words, but the other part of talking is listening. And, and I think that this part of it too is important for the Gemini story, if one is to be an artful Gemini and, and, and have all the bags of tricks. Uh, at that point, you're not just doing it to fill in the spaces with words to hear yourself talk. It, it's like, are you listening to the person? Not just what you're saying, are you listening? And I think there is a key component and key thing. We go back to Obama, he'd listen to you. 
Like I, he's got a type of person when you're one-on-one, he would listen to you. Other, other Geminis, are they really listening or they're just waiting for you to be done talking because they have something else to say? And so right. that, that, that's where- Waiting for your turn to speak. Waiting for your turn to speak. So that type of thing's important for me of, of you could see how the energy moves with Gemini and what could happen. And, and that might be important in terms of the distinction between the, um, the nocturnal versus diurnal signs of or or masculine versus feminine signs or whatever you want to call that there, there's a debate in the astrological community right now about what what to phrase that as um and different people have different opinions but just um it seems like uh gemini once we've switched to the third sign is a more extroverted sign and if if it's a diurnal sign one of the things that the sun and the diurnal planets do is emit light like the sun emits light versus the moon receiving light and maybe one of, part of that distinction is that gemini has a tendency to default towards talking and the output version of that whereas maybe a nocturnal sign like the other gemini ruled sign which is virgo um, would have a better job of doing the opposite which is listening which is the more re receptive form of communication mm -hmm. yeah i totally sense? agree yeah it can also show up just in the the charts of folks whether they do have Mercury and Gemini, but where their luminaries are or necessarily where the house is, what house Mercury is in um, can really influence the flavor of talking versus listening. Um, but I really like that listening was brought up. And that's like one of the first things I wrote down that Gemini is the talker and the listener, um, because I think um, kind of part and parcel to the mutability of Gemini is also being able to, to pick up on the cues, which can be body language, it can be the tone of the room, but it can also be like, literally, what are you hearing? And then how are you going to shape your response in, um, in kind of in, in response to what you have heard, right? So there needs to be that kind of two-way uh, travel with communication and listening. I love what you said, how you're going to shape your response, because I, I, I think you can listen and shape at the same time where you're being respectful uh, of uh, of the situation of the of the balance of what communication really is. You need a balance and 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 the space for that to happen. And um, I anyway, I really dig what you just said there. Um, so I it was good, awesome, yeah. Uh, speaking of that, one of the chart examples that just came to mind as we were talking about this of talking but also listening um, is. A famous Gemini moon is Sigmund Freud, who's like the, you know, a little bit outdated at this point, but to some extent, one of the founders of um, depth psychology and so-called, you know, talking therapy of psychoanalytic therapy through talking and through uh, either a dialogue or um, having, you know, a therapist to talk to and to listen and to explore the depths of one's dreams and psyche and other things like that. Uh, so he was supposed to have Scorpio rising and the moon in Gemini as well as Saturn in Gemini in the eighth house. Yeah, and this is a great example of how context can kind of matter. And in the context of talk therapy, whether it's Freud or like someone doing it today, um, to go back to the listening part is like you need to be able to receive and hear what they are saying because the quality of your counseling or your observations depends on having that kind of open ear and that open mind. And then, of course, knowing how to respond from that. So there are situations where that listening is like critical. <laughs> right. Um, and this brings to mind another example I was just thinking of, which is a, a super Gemini that I think of sometimes when I 
think of Gemini examples, which is Edward Snowden, who was the you know he was like a, a he worked for what the the NSA or the CIA as a contractor in the early 2010s, and he ended up finding out about this government program of of surveilling the world basically in the world's communications and then disclosing it. So it's kind of interesting in terms of both listening and talking. Um, but he has Gemini rising with Mercury, Mars, the North Node, and the Sun all in Gemini in the first whole sign house. Um, so that idea of like communications, but also and talking, but also like, you know, who's who's listening. And um, as well as the notion that sometimes comes up with Mercury about disclosures and about reporting and mercury sometimes plays that role of the one who discloses things or the one who reports things um and in his instance he became and and will probably always become primarily known for or be primarily known for as a whistleblower essentially yeah i was going to say gemini is what blows the whistle <laughs> like i have an important message <laughs> right yeah yeah definitely in his case too um because of the oppositions he has there it's uh, it's there's not just certain things being uh, whistleblown. I mean, the depth of it too, and I, I, all the, the Sagittarius stuff there on the other side is just like it's not just making surface uh, surface small talk. It's it's pushing something deeper, and I'm saying that because you know we I'm gonna assume this, but him doing his his actions are on a deeper ethical level. So you know, so uh, in his case. You know, it's a deeper thing. And have you ever actually heard him talk? I, I actually listened to a podcast where he's on. He wouldn't stop talking, by the way. <laughs> he wouldn't. And he has this cadence, this funny cadence. And, and you take that in, in, in conjunct uh, with like the fact that, you know, he hasn't wasn't able to say something for a while and he's hiding out. And then when he gets his chance to say something, you listen to what he's saying. He wouldn't stop talking. You just was just going. You just waiting for this. And I couldn't tell if that's just him in general or mm -hmm. the situation that he was in. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and I like the distinction you drew there between Sag and Gemini, where for Edward Snowden, it was purpose-driven communication and really um, uh, kind of aimed to reshape or to expose like governments and like uh, larger systems, which is a, a part of a Sagittarius archetype. So it's yeah, not just talking just to talk, but I have something really important and probably structurally um, could change the structure, I should say, uh, message to kind of get out there. Yeah, you're, de you're dealing with, yeah, uh, many levels of truth here yeah. with this yeah. person and, and what is the truth and the highest truth for him personally, then what is the truth in general for the, for the public, for, for the country, you know, and he, that's coming through him, you know, uh, along with, with the, the files or the, you know, the information dump, so. And just to describe for those listening to the audio version, what we're talking about, he has, in addition to that Gemini stellium, he has Jupiter, Uranus, the Descendant, the South Node, and Neptune all in Sagittarius in the seventh house. So that's the opposition that's sort of formed with his Gemini placements and some of that strong Sagittarius energy that's being brought in where there's uh, an ideological or belief-based component to things and also a, a sort of rebelliousness with Uranus there conjunct Jupiter uh, within three degrees with Jupiter at three Sag and Uranus at six, opposing that Mercury in Gemini and you know the fact that he you know sort of broke the rules or or did something that he wasn't supposed to do 
and rebelled in some sense in order to do what he thought was right in terms of his morals or his beliefs. I was just going to bring up really quickly, I saw his moon was in Scorpio, which is like an aversion to Gemini. Um, so like the the conflict of like, should I keep this secret <laughs> or should I like expose it? And obviously the Gemini went out energetically and Sagittarius went out because it was a, a truth that needed to be told. Um, but withholding information from a Gemini or a Gemini witnessing that information is being withheld, I can see how that can be deeply frustrating because it's all about open lines of communication. Right. Yeah, if it's touching your moral compass and, and, and you're, you're have this mercurial quality, it's like how long can you keep your mouth shut? Like, I, you know, you can't. And, and that's the other part of like, does Gemini talk too much? Sometimes there's a stigma, you know, Gemini's, oh, you're just yapping away and there's no depth. And so obviously it depends on the individual in their chart like we're looking at now. In this case, too, you bring up, excuse me, you're bringing up that moon. And it, I don't, I, I think there's a deeper, deeper something going on there. And it's like, I can't hold his eye. I, can't, I have to open, I have to do something, you know. Uh, uh, and so he's not just thinking, of, he's not really, he's not thinking of himself at all. Uh, if you think, if go deeper to this. So that says something, you know, whether you agree or not with, with this person or not out there, uh, this person's living in, in a deeper way. And, and he doesn't have to say anything. There's plenty of people who have their, their uh, hands on the levers of certain powers and can press any button and they don't care and they just go home and do whatever, right? But for some reason with him, and I, I think when you brought up the moon part there, the Scorpio moon, there's something that just, just can't, that just adds the flavor. Like, I can't deal with this anymore. I have to say something. And not only am I saying it, it's going to come cutting, cutting in, you know? So anyway, that's... And exposing what he exposed, uh, he accepted a more difficult life. So talk about being convicted, which is something that Geminis can do. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So let's see what else. There's a couple of things that were mentioned previously. I want to circle back to you just to mention passing. One was Gemini Moon is one of the placements I, I'm often um, jealous of because I sometimes see a facility with learning new languages with that placement that it comes a little bit more naturally or a little bit more easily to them as well as just gemini placements in general um so demetra george for example has a, a gemini moon um robert schmidt who was the head translator of project hindsight had a gemini moon and i was always impressed by how, how in, innately or intuitively he seemed to have a be able to pick up ancient languages by just like knowing the grammar and the syntax and he said once you get the grammar down then it's pretty easy just to like learn the vocabulary or what have you have you but you just need to figure out the grammar first um yeah or even my friend um austin Coppic has a gemini moon and um you know is pretty striking in the way that he comes up with like metaphors and poetic uh, similes and things like that in astrology yeah, that's a superpower. I like it. I see it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could see Austin on the podcast. Like there's this moment. So his, his pacing of communication, there's something going on, but you could see the, the process happening yeah, when he's constructing his words, you know, his moon, you see it, like you could catch it. It's interesting with him. So, um, but, but, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then circling back to earlier as well, uh, one thing that was mentioned in passing that's good maybe to dwell on just a little bit is that idea of adaptability of um, Gemini sometimes having this notion of almost being a chameleon in some sense because it's able to adapt to 
who they're with at the moment and, and sometimes take on those qualities in, in some way. And that notion of adaptability, which is both connected with Mercury as well as with it being a mutable sign, I think is a very important uh, overarching component as well. Yeah. And just like on a personal note, like my childhood nickname was Chameleon because my name is Camille. And I think it's nice. so funny that astrologically I have uh, the setup that would make me a chameleon. Um, but yeah, in, in thinking about that, and maybe this is a couple of layers deep, but um, there's a lot of associations of duplicitousness and two-facedness with the Gemini. And when you're talking specifically about um, who you are to this group of people, who you need to be, how you're camouflaging over there, and maybe how you're turning into this group of people being a little bit different over there, that doesn't necessarily have to point towards uh, two-facedness or being um, kind of deceptive, rather that the Gemini has the ability to kind of morph into who they need to be for each groups. And it's an authentic expression, um, you know, both places, right? But um, yeah, the Gemini ability to kind of hold um, multi-identities multi at once, multiple identities at once, and they're each authentic, right? They're not fake. Yeah. In, 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 in Greek myth with Hermes, there's the reason of chameleon, there's a reason for changing into something because Hermes used to do that through humans to alter situations in Greek myth. You read a lot of this stuff, it's interesting because Hermes would embody an old man on the road to alter a situation. You know, this was part of the power. The other part of it is in the in between journey. That as we we're talking about the the chameleon part and the, the constant transforming is 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 alchemy in a sense and things are always changing and that was the gift or another power as you want to call it of Hermes of being doing things on the fly and and coming out with something in the middle of nothing or in a situation again like on the whim but that was the power is to kind of cut through all that and bring up that magic on the fly and there was always a reason for it. And it's alchemical is one way you can look at it because it's constantly changing and morphing and, and, and changing and morphing. We really think about a transformative progress. Sometimes it's like shedding our skin. You know, we're vulnerable when we do that. At the same time, we're, we're getting down to a purity and then we're becoming stronger. Now, that's a process. That could be a long-term process. But for the Gemini, it happens in the moment, all in one moment, instantaneously. And you're and riding that vibe constantly or they can so again on a deeper level after that it's like well how are what are they really doing it for uh, wheeling their power but anyway to go back to the chameleon part and the transformative part on the fly um yeah and i like that word that you used earlier because i think that i thought that even though it has negative connotations it also gets into something really important just in terms of the meaning of that word but um duplicity or duplicitousness and I was just looking up a definition of that, and it says, uh, Merriman, Merriman Webster says, contradictory doubleness of thought, speech, or action, um, especially the belying of one's true intentions by deceptive words or actions, or to the quality or state of being double or twofold, um, which is where you get to that notion of like two two facedness to like say one thing, but then to do another thing, or um, vice versa but this notion of i guess this is the first sign we had aries which is the first sign we had taurus and then we had gemini and gemini is the sign of the twins 
and all of the the mutable signs have these notions of um, doubleness or being double bodied or having two of something. But Gemini is probably the one that gets that the most of this notion of there being two sides to it, and that that manifests in different ways. And then a lot of that actually also may just come from the symbolism of Gemini, the fact that it means the twins. Um, so like two separate entities or one person that splits off into two entities. Yep. So that double bodied nature really isn't all the mutable signs, but I agree that Gemini gets the most flack uh, for it. I, I agree. I agree. I, I, I actually, Sam Reynolds, we always talk about this. The, the two signs that get the most flack are Scorpios and Gemini. They just I get know. a bad rap. Everybody's got a story, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like, uh, Gemini's, they just get it. I, I, to, to go back to what we're talking about, um, sometimes situations need to be altered. Someone needs to be tricked. If, if I'm, for you Gemini's out there, I just want to be careful with what I'm about to say here because it's like, don't do things on purpose after what I'm going to say here, okay? It's like, sometimes if you have the ability and a gift to ch change and manipulate a situation, what are you doing for? Are you doing for the good? That's what Hermes used to do on purpose, to trick a situation that was normal on a human level. And in that moment, the divine comes through, the sun comes through Mercury to the rest of the planets in the solar system. The divine comes through in that moment for the certain reasons and the deep, deep, pure reasons. Now, now, if you're a Gemini and you know you can do this, you could see how one can misuse their power, hence why Geminis would get a bad rap, right? So, you know, again, you have to, it's, you have to honor, honor the divine and our, honor the power and honor the chameleon-like moments that come through out of nowhere. There's, uh, I just I want to keep, I said this earlier in this podcast, like, I want to reiterate it because I don't want Geminis to have a bad rap anymore. Yeah, let's clear the air. <laughs> Needs to be tricked. If, if and I'm, for you Geminis out there, I just want to be careful with what I'm about to say here because it's like, don't do things on purpose after what I'm going to say here, okay? It's like, sometimes if you have the ability and a gift to ch change and manipulate a situation, what are you doing for? Are you doing for the good? That's what Hermes used to do on purpose, to trick a situation that was normal on a human level. And in that moment, the divine comes through. The sun comes through Mercury to the rest of the planets in the solar system. The divine comes through in that moment for the certain reasons and the deep, deep, pure reasons. Now, now, if you're a Gemini and you know you can do this, you could see how one can misuse their power, hence why Geminis would get a bad rap, right? So, you know, again, you have to, it's, you have to honor, honor the divine and our, honor the power and honor the chameleon-like moments that come through out of nowhere. There's, uh, I just I want to keep, I said this earlier in this podcast, like I want to reiterate it because I don't want Geminis to have a bad rap anymore. Yeah, let's clear the air right <laughs> here, right now. Yeah, <laughs> but I get why they do. I mean, I mean, we're we're going to cover the full range and the full spectrum. I mean, with every sign, we're going to cover the the good sides and the bad sides and everything in between to whatever extent we can. So don't worry too much about. I don't I don't want to stigmatize any sign either for sure because that's annoying, you know, kind of astrology. But it is good to think of what are what's the full range of manifestations and that every positive manifestation of a sign can also have a, a mirroring negative manifestation and then once you identify both sides i think that gives you a much clearer picture of like what the underlying or the overarching ar archetype is 
Yeah, I believe. Yeah. So talking about like, what is the meaning of all this shape-shifting, meaningless shape-shifting, which does exist in the Gemini world is like gossip. And, it, you know, it's just mm. like filling up space with words um, that are controversial and, and spicy and like can rile people up, but at the end of the day, serves a negative purpose, um, you know, in some ways, or like a completely useless purpose. Sure. Well, that I mean, it's almost like there's a, so there's a mischievousness and a playful yeah. quality to Gemini. So playfulness, mischievousness, and we get some of that in like some of the the, the trickery myths. Like, what what's one of the trickery myths, Nicholas, of from like Greek Greek mythology? Uh, I yeah, there's a couple, but I what was I reading something about last night of just first of all, Greek myths are just brutal. Um, sure, you right, know, yeah. there, there is. Hermes was getting set up, you know, Zeus is sending Hermes up on the, on these, you know, to get help Persephone get out of the underworld at certain points. Hecate did that too. So there's a trickiness there. And, and the stories of putting guards to sleep so people could sneak through, you mm -hmm. know, there's that kind of trickiness for, to, to move a situation. You know, the, the other part of it is, uh, uh Odysseus, you know, uh, Hermes goes to visit Odysseus after Odysseus hanging with Cersei, right? And there's this thing of like, hey, you need to do this. I'm going to help you get out of here to finish the quest. And so he comes through. But there's plenty of stories of Hermes doing some messed up stuff that the gods have passed through. So I, I just just so we understand Greek myth, it's not all happy-go-lucky. It's hardcore. Yeah, but, yeah. But, 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 it, but still, the, the common thread you see when you read the hymns or the stories is this transformative process that happens really fast an altering of a storyline really fast. And it's very subtle, actually, how it comes across. It's a simple thing, like embodying another human, moving something out of the way. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, a, it's very, it works that way most of the time from, from the things I've been reading. So I, I can't remember what you exact, uh, what you asked me exactly, Chris. Yeah, I was just thinking of some of the mischievous, mischievousness seemed like it's something that comes up a lot in the myths of, of Hermes and um, that mischievous, but also like a youthful quality to Gemini. Yep. Like I think Geminis sometimes get associated with a, a youthful quality as well, even youthful, you know, beyond, not beyond their years, whatever the inverse of that statement is. Yeah. And this, well, part of that too, I think has to do with the thieving quality of things because it's the master of thieves and what thieves do on the road as in things come to them, like there's a situation that comes to you or a, 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 there's a, something on the road, is it yours or not, doesn't matter, it came to me, I'm there, I walked to it, I, it, it brought it, I met up with it, and then I'm gonna take it. <laughs> so the mis there's mischievousness there, you know, and, and, and then what it's used for. Again, I think it always goes back, if we're talking right now, modern times, I'm just looking at myth, it's like, this, what's the intention behind it? Is it for the longer story to help alter a story to go a certain way? Or is it for completely selfish reasons? Do you have an honorable thief who's doing it not just for himself, but for others? Or is it, you know, just completely selfish? I, you know, but I think as for the mischievousness, that's where a lot of that comes from is from the, or from one way to look at it is the thieving quality and, and the, that um, it's this vibe and energy that's kind of popping. It's popping mentally of having fun in the tweaking and messing with a situation and a person, honestly. Right. Uh, and there's that balance again about the, the intention to why so um it makes me think of like yeah. pr pranks like pranking is like kind of a gemini type thing or what are some other things like that that are like 
sometimes just doing something for the sake just to see what happens and yeah so, so like a quality or an essence like that yeah like being spontaneously um i would i don't know like jokey or to, mm. to say something like controversial just to be like how are people going to react so i can to have I mean, fun that's a good <laughs> thing that. like like a, a wittiness also yeah. um it, which can sometimes like poke fun at something or playfulness uh we were having a debate in some of the previous episodes about somebody said aries was funny I mean, Gemini is a pretty funny sign or can be funny because it's very witty and it has that way with words, which is not just, you know, we've done examples of that, of like Obama being a good orator or Anthony Bourdain being poetic. But another side of that is just being clever, like cleverness is a, is a good Gemini quality. And um, yeah, that's that's another side of that. Like a like a, a stand up comedian, for example. Yeah, totally. I listen, I admit, and I'm in crowds of people, I can't help but to F with people sometimes. I, I, you know, it's a thing. And if the real reason sometimes is like, uh, this could be selfish, but stagnation, or so again, it's altering a timeline, it's altering a story. So if I'm being clever, I'm pointing some out, I'm like, hey, you know, what's, what's this I hear? And someone looks down, and I hit him in the nose, they're like, oh, but it just changed everything. We just stepped out of what was normal. And, and we stepped away we transcended for the moment and i think a gemini can't help but do that uh, at times to, is because not just for the laughs of it to be honest <laughs> like to laugh about it and the cleverness to break the ice you could say in a situation but also too there's it's almost it's again i use the word cipher it's like there's a conduit and somebody's coming through you and you're going to be humorous and clever and kind of pull at somebody or mess with the room a little bit because there's something else coming through you to do it, and it can completely alter the story. It can alter a situation. Uh, again, you're, you're writing as someone who knows this and who's done it my whole life and has paid the price for being selfish with it. It's, it's, picking, your moment, it's picking your moments when to do it. So mm -hmm. if there's an argument in the room and, and people are tripping on each other and so on and so forth, let's say it's a situation of gossip or whatever. There, I could come in and Gemini can come in and, and change it with a joke or a thing or to, to, to pull everybody out of that bubble that they're in and pop it. You know, and I've I've done this myself. I've seen it publicly. Then everything switches in the room, and then there isn't, let's say, this caustic activity that could have been going on, or the gossip, so on and so forth. Now, I'm giving you examples of things for the good, for the good of things. Now, there's the other part of it is I'm coming in and I'm being clever with with you, and I'm talking with you, but you don't even know it. I just stole your wallet. Pickpocket. Sure. You know, and I had fun with you. I cracked a joke and yeah, you blush. And I chimed like, you look great today, by the way. I mean, you're shining. Look at that color on you. By the way, Camille, like that room, that whole thing you got going on with the colors there, it is, <laughs> you are popping way better than Chris and I are. And you're just right there. Incredibly beautiful. <laughs> so on that's and so good, forth. That's a good, so it's sort of a distractive quality. And that's the double sidedness is like doing, saying one thing, but then doing something else on the other end. And, and that can be used as a benefit and to the advantage of the Gemini, but then it can be used, as you were saying, for good or for bad or, or yeah. what have you. There's also a, almost like a morally, sometimes morally ambiguous quality um, to some extent as well. And this might be relevant also at this point, which is in the, you know, there's a little, we, we run into some issues with the temperaments and the qualities once we get to Gemini, because there's, there's some debate in the tradition about it. But in the earlier Stoic model, the air signs are supposed to be cold, which is opposite to the fire signs, which are hot. 
And I feel like with the air signs, um, air signs can sometimes have a cold quality to them that can be um, dispassionate or, or lacking in emotion and can be more of like an analytical like thinking quality um, that can uh, look at things intellectually but not have as much of like an emotional component, which would be more of a water thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just wanted to like quickly circle back because Nick said something that was so interesting, which is like when Gemini senses that the energies are stagnant, it mm. wants to like move them. And that just reminds me of all the antics that Gemini can get up to when it's bored, when it mm. does not have a productive use for all of that uh, mutable energy. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the way that Gemini can be kind of irreverent in the face of issues that are deeply sensitive or kind of that feeling of cracking a joke when everyone's crying and it's like, mm, not really the right time. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, living in that space of logic so that, um, you know, at the expense of like leaning a little bit more into intuition or compassion or like connectivity with other people on a more heart to heart level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say too to that, that, yeah, that coldness and logic part of things, I, it, it can be brutal. I think even for a Gemini internally, that depending who they are on the rest of the chart, let's say if they don't have any water in their chart or something like that, the, the not connecting with situations or people, uh, not only can the person on the other side of them not feel connected, but in their own world, Gemini's world can feel just uh, alone and disconnected. And um, you can go on, you can look at this at many different ways, you know, but you can look at it as in Hermes didn't have a good connection with his mom, you know, because she, she basically would, didn't, was forced to have Hermes, right? There's a deeper part of this and, and, and not having this deeper connection to to the mother and the mother not really feeling like this was their child. In one way, in Greek myth, you could see how the coldness, because it's per, the Gemini or, or, excuse me, Hermes didn't have anything resolved with like the feminine part. There's a part there that sometimes is not there and it doesn't connect because of the logic. Now, I don't know if this is making sense to some of you all, but but for, for some, I think Gemini's, is, it's always important to look, and this is when we come back to listening, to get away from the logic and the coldness, I think listening to one's own self. There was a very, I don't know, I'm bringing this up, Linda Goodman, Sun Signs book, which many of us, many of us have read, has a famous line in there about Gemini, about, about it's within the Love Signs book or the Sun Signs book, but it has to do with Gemini in the end. The way she writes it, she was so talented how she wrote, but is the end is like, can the Gemini get to a point of listening to its own heartbeat? And and mm -hmm. when and you get to that point of getting out of here and listening to your own heartbeat, then you're getting into the you're getting off the logic and you're getting into the emotional part. And and I and and it's there for any Gemini listening and watching who who has challenges with this. It's, it is getting to listening to your own heartbeat and shutting out everything else that's external that you cannot help but gravitate towards to and wanting to connect with constantly. It, it's the getting back to your to self and to listening to this. And curiously, uh, you know, t what Chris was talking about, how each sign that comes after corrects something, that's the correction that, that cancer then has. It's like that awareness traveling yep. down to the heart, right? Yeah. 
Camille, that's so good. Yes, it's exactly what it is. Cancer brings in the the emotional component, and it's the first water sign in the sequence of the first signs of the zodiac, starting with Aries, which I meant to actually show a diagram just of the. This is our poster that Paulo Bellomino and I made a few years ago, which is like a wall poster, but it just shows the signs of the zodiac, starting with Aries, which is the first sign after the spring uh, equinox. Yeah, spring equinox, then Taurus, then Gemini, and then that's a really good point. Cancer comes after, and so part of the corrective quality that you see that's missing from the first three signs, but perhaps is the most missing from Gemini, is that emotional component that connects things not just on an intellectual level, which is what Gemini is really good at, or a communicative level through words, but Cancer connects things through emotions and through through feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't out logic your way uh, through like difficult situations. Like you will hit a wall, and Gemini can't hit that wall. Right. Um, so you mentioned Nicholas um, Linda Goodman, who's a really good example to mention because she was such an amazing writer, and she's a really good example of somebody that had their chart ruler, the ruler of their ascendant, in Gemini because she was an Aries sun in Venus with Aries rising, and the ruler of her ascendant Mars was actually in Gemini in the third whole sign house. And I always use her as an example because in 19, what, 68, 69, she wrote um, that book Sun Signs, uh, right? That's what it was called. And that mm-hmm. became, I think, the most high, highest selling astrology book, certainly in modern times, possibly in all times, although Ptolemy probably gave her like a little bit of competition. But at least in modern times, and as far as like tracked book sales, sales it sold just millions and millions of copies. And one of the reasons I think it was so um, popular is just she had a way with words and a way of describing some of the underlying meanings of the signs that was really impressive. Yeah, and if I saw from the chart correctly, um, her var- Mars and Venus were sextiling each other. I have to look at that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, um, Interesting here, we've had a couple charts here that have Mars and Gemini, and then we have someone with us who has Mars and Gemini, and uh, very important here this year, uh, with the second half of the year, what's, what's going yeah, <laughs> what's, what's to happen. But, but um, that's, uh, Chris, you brought this chart up really quick. This is someone here who influenced multi-generations astrologically and put things in a plain language for people, you know, to make astrology accessible, whether you like it or not, the words or it's some people consider it pop. It doesn't matter, you know. I, um, I just found it interesting though her Mars and Venus because I that was a constant uh, uh, theme in her writing. Even if she was writing about an individual sign, there it was always this kind of merging of always bringing in love and relation to each other. And I I don't know, I just see her Mars and Venus the way they're relating in a chart. Um, and Linda had it. Yeah, I love how you said um, she wrote in plain language, which I think is such a great quality of of Gemini and Mercury and Gemini. And then you can think about the opposite, maybe Mercury and Sag, and how there's a propensity to like pontificate or to like over philosophize and to like get really lyricy and like you know all of that, which is has its place. But there is something to be said for the way that Gemini can be the teacher. Um, and such that it communicates things very effectively and straight to the point. Yeah. So that might be a good thing to dwell on 
the the Sag Gemini axis and the interplay between those two, the rulers of those two signs, because it really can help to instruct you much more clearly on the meaning of Gemini by contrasting it with Sagittarius and its opposite. Uh, and then once we do that, remind me to go back to, I want to go into the triplicities and um, contrasting Gemini with Libra and Aquarius, which is something I was starting to go into with the um, air signs as being cold in the contrast with fire signs. So if I don't remember, remind me of that. Um, all right. So when we're looking at Gemini, um, Gemini is ruled by Mercury and it's opposite to the sign Sagittarius, which is ruled by Jupiter. And one of the major contrasts there is you get the smallest planet in the solar system, which is Mercury ruling Gemini, opposite to the largest planet in the solar system, which is Jupiter. And one of the major underlying contrasts that just comes up over and over again is that Gemini represents small things and Sagittarius represents big things. And when you just like take that basic contrast of what are some small things and what are some big things, like you can really get a lot out of understanding that that axis or that polarity between those two signs. Yeah, one of my favorite kind of analogies or ways to picture it is Gemini is the newsroom and Sagittarius um, are the people that write editorials, where Gemini is like, I'm here to communicate the facts on an everyday basis. And then the editorial Sag folks are like, but what does it all mean? Like, how can we string these facts or what's happening into some larger, higher concept about uh, the truth of our times? And so that bigness versus smallness also coming in um, symbolically to represent uh, what is being said necessarily. Yeah, you have the, the basic simple thing of like fact and then opinion too. Yeah, that's The way too. you said in a simple way and, and, and um, yeah. All have its purpose. Also, fact versus belief. That which a lot yes. of people think are facts. <laughs> right. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there can be a, a sort of in Gemini a dispassionate, just communicating things versus Sagittarius. There can be a focus on believing in things and what you believe, like belief and what you believe in, and your morals and principles being centered and put at the forefront. Um, as opposed to Gemini, where um, just communicating things is is put more to the forefront. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but that's like one of the contrasts that I sometimes see come up. Well, on the Gemini angle too, if we were to think what, of what is a priority, is like, can I get the message out and as quickly as possible, and and with these words and these certain facts, and it has to do with the pacing, and, and that's a priority, right? And, and so you could there's that and then you see the other side with jupiter there's i think there's a little bit more time there isn't the need to, the mercurial need to get things out super fast and so there's the pondering aspect things and going deeply and going mm -hmm. deeper or bigger expanding out uh, with jupiter so uh but yeah as as for the roles uh, movement initial movements you know um I also like thinking about Gemini versus Sag, um, where Gemini can be over-reliant, like we said, on logic or facts or what makes sense. And then the Sagittarian way of viewing life can be, I have faith. I, I don't see it yet, or maybe it doesn't make sense yet, but that doesn't mean that it can't be any more true, right? Um, Gemini would have a harder time kind of expanding itself into that viewpoint. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And um, Sagittarius is definitely more focused on the big picture, where Gemini is more focused on the details. All right. Um, are there any chart examples that either of you can think of that connect to that in any way? Like, I'm trying to think if the, if there's any good contrast. We did talk a bit about um, earlier about um, Edward Snowden and how he has that opposition between those heavy oppositions between Mercury and Gemini, uh, Gemini and Sagittarius in his chart, and um, you know having that that uh, urge to disclose things, but also having that tension because it's um, tied in with sort of his beliefs and and sort of a sense of rebelliousness and everything else, but that that was part of the core tension in his life in some way. You know, this may be controversial, but the Sibley chart for the United States um, has a Sag gem opposition. So I think Sag rising and then Mars and Uranus and gem in the seventh house. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that that can go, but generally perhaps the war between belief and manifest destiny um, versus like the facts and what's going on and, you know, freedom of speech, all of that. Maybe I'm not explaining it well, but that polarity certainly exists in our culture. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we've seen it. I think we've seen it in the last four to five years through the presidential campaigns, exactly to what you're talking about of like everyone, there's the expression of facts or, or talking about facts and then there's people's beliefs. And then what is true and what is not, you know, this has been the major factor, not just politically, but with everything that we do on the internet, pretty much, or it's turned into that uh, here in our culture in, in the States. So um, I think that's right on point. Um, um, and, you know, how does, how do you manage the polarity? You know, how do you do that? That gets us for another podcast or something, but I, I think um, it's, this country's always had the wide openness you know, this frontierness, the exploration of, you know, and, and that actually had to do with land, right? And that, but now it's in our minds or it's on the internet, uh, how we do it. So again, there's the, the, the factual part or what if that's, if they're even facts. And then there's the other part of my beliefs. And here we are, you know, uh, where we are politically, where we are as a country and what it, it's turned into. Um, Yep. It also is a uh, fake news, right? So Sagittarius is like, this is the news according to my belief. This is truthiness. <laughs> Whereas Gemini is like, no, this is the truth and these are the facts. And so like a lot of that has been kicked up with the nodes kind of transiting those signs, but it was kind of already baking just because of how divisive our politics are. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the Sibley chart just because um, early on in my studies, I, I heard somebody describe the United States as a very as having a heavy Gemini quality and there's debates about you know the the Sibley chart which has Sagittarius rising versus there's other charts like the Gemini rising chart but I don't I don't think it's necessarily relevant because there's a strong Gemini signature in the US chart no matter what because it has Mars and Uranus in that sign and but it's just kind of a country that has those those dualities or that notion of two-ness where, you know, for for example, politically it has like the two major political parties that are constantly vying for power and like going back and forth and have such almost diametrically opposite um, ideals and beliefs and sort of visions of, of what the country should be. But also even just um, 
you have different parts of the country historically. Like, for example, you had a, a civil war where it's like the northern part of the country fights the southern part of the country, or you have these other contrasts of like these huge twin cities on either side of the the um, country, like New York on one side and like Los Angeles on the other side, or what have you, and just this recurring theme of the the two. Um, the two brothers or the two siblings that have these really contrasting, um, almost opposite polarities, but are still tied together at, at the waist in some sense and forever connected and going back and forth in some way. Yeah, definitely. And even deeper than that, it's like, um, you know, there's so many factions and like different groups of beliefs just going on currently. And that just made me think of how Gemini especially influenced by Uranus there, can get so fragmented and split mm. off on itself, like <laughs> multiply and multiply until we have so many different people believing and saying so many different things, which is the confusion that Gemini can also bring up. Right. Yeah. And I think there's the other part too in our history of like saying one thing and our actions mean another. Oh, sure. Uh, you mm. know, and on many different levels uh, with the story of our government, and how we portray things, and even how we portray the dream of America, and whether that dream is a reality, actually, for many, if it would become a reality. But it's so constantly changing, you know, and I think about my, where I'm from, my, both my parents are immigrants, you know, they came here on a dream, and, and they followed the dream, the message that this country put out that in a sense still puts out or tries to yeah. put out. America uh, does really good PR. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're totally good at it. And, and you know, the, if you think about the, the country itself and what it is with PR and media and Hollywood and what's come out of here, we have it down. We mm -hmm. have it down. And I think a lot of other countries have taken that from us and they use, they use their own versions of it now. But, but, you know, again, whether we, we portray ourselves as land of the free, is it really free for some people? Is it, uh, we talk about freedom in other countries, but then there's our history sometimes we, we've had with other countries and our interventions with them. And are we really, it's like double talk. It's it, mm -hmm. so to go back on, you could take this on all many different levels, but it's always constantly changing with our country. Uh, but, in, but in other ways, like you said, Chris, you know, the two parties, the two cities, the coast to coast, it's, it's always this or that. And then, and, and then there's the, the, I think on a, a deeper subconscious level, honestly, is really the, the need and want to merge the two together. Mm. Uh, and sometimes you have moments of it where it happens, you know, and that's where the magic comes. That's where the alchemy is. And then that's where the dream of America, it looks pretty good, you know? at those moments, but uh, it's really not it's, always it's, that way. Not to like prolong it too much, but it's it's so curious because Mars and Uranus are in Gemini for the United States. And the moments where I feel like we are the most together is after something atrocious has happened. <laughs> after there's been some type of Martian or Uranus kind of like a tower moment or like shake up, right? It's unfortunate that it has to be that way, but yeah. Well, and one of those that happened, of course, in two thousand one, was like when the twin towers were like destroyed, um, in the September eleventh attacks. But that also reminds me that the first Uranus return, astrologers always comment on the first Uranus return of the United States after eighty four some odd years was the Civil War, so it was activating that Gemini placement. And then, um, whenever I think about that, that Mars and Uranus and Gemini. 
I also think of just the sometimes people talk about like the car culture of the United States and how it's like such a large, uniquely large and like spread out country and how, especially in the 20th century, it was like most of our cities ended up being built around this sort of like car culture, which is kind of a Mars and Gemini um, type thing. Um, as well as more recently, a lot of people are talking about, unfortunately, over the past month, the um, gun culture in the United States as well as potentially being like a Mars, Uranus and Gemini type thing um, at the same time of Mars, which is like weapons and, and Uranus, which is like technology. And also just the sentiment behind it all, like you're not going to trample out my freedom to do to do these things. Right. right. And And if you do try to trample on my freedom, you're going to be like killed or attacked with guns, like don't tread on me or whatever that that flag is. Yeah, the, and you know, the defending of one's own autonomy. Yeah, you know, is is the mm -hmm. mindset behind that, and and that's that's a fundamental so called definition of the country. You know, and the chart is that's the fundamental premise per se. Is that? I mean, you think about it, like the formation of the United States was us divorcing from another country. <laughs> We were right. trying to get independence. Yeah, so that duality is always kind of there. Through like a document, through like the Declaration yeah, of Indep a Independence. <laughs> right. Like a, <laughs> yeah. a written document. So they wrote out like they're they wrote out in the Revolutionary War, you know, wow, um, yeah. which is also happening around the time of the discovery of Uranus to begin mm. with. And suddenly we're getting, you know, great revolutionary war in America and the United States, but then also France is having um its own revolution. But um the Mars Uranus around the time of the um, Declaration of Independence and everything is pretty pretty striking. So that brings up another example that I had, or an example chart that I had I had thought of recently um, when I was looking through my own files of a famous Gemini and Mercury in Gemini, which is um, Anne Frank, who was Leo rising and had the Sun and Mercury in Gemini in the eleventh house. And of course, she's famously and primarily known today for having written her diary and having her diary, which was written during the Holocaust, um, published afterwards by her father as as an example of, you know, just what this little girl went through going through the course of of World War II and hiding and all of her internal thoughts and the things that she wrote down and put to paper as just part of her process of of thinking and living. At that age, um, and then what ended up happening to her when she died in the Holocaust, but having her memory sort of live on through her writings is kind of a really powerful and interesting example of of some Gemini placements. Yeah, definitely, definitely. When you have Saturn opposite her Mercury there, and in a sense, there's resistance in many ways in this person's life. Um, it's pretty wide orb just depending but by you know it's there and 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 am i correct in seeing that's a retrograde gemini uh, mercury and gemini too i'm not too sure on that but yeah uh, yeah uh, but but there there is a a a resistance and then the use of saturn to construct something that's so deep and fundamental that goes past her life and 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 deals with something that that deals with the the hardest parts of what being a human being is and how all of that was like forced out in isolation, which can both be a signification of Saturn, but also that retrograde Mercury, like going within. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. The Saturn opposition and essentially in hiding or almost being Im imprisoned in some way. And so the writing is taking place 
in a context that's not not positive, that's actually very, very difficult. All right. So I wanted to go back to, I think I want to return at some point to that contrast between Gemini and Sagittarius a little bit more. Um, but for now, why don't we move into talking about the triplicities and the other air signs. And one of the things I did in a previous episode, I think in the Taurus episode, was we started contrasting the different signs, either in the same modalities or the same um, triplicities. And one of them that I think might help is contrasting Gemini as an air sign, a mutable air sign, with the other two air signs, which are Libra, which is ruled by Venus, and Aquarius, which is ruled by Saturn. So with all of these, I think one of the things we talked about, one of the things that's different is um, the tendency to intellectualize things or the tendency sometimes to come off as a little bit cold in some sense um, emotionally. And I think that's something that the notion of there being a little bit of coldness is definitely something that comes up with Gemini, and it's, it's definitely something that comes up with Aquarius which is a fixed Saturn-ruled air sign, um, we get that a little bit softer with Libra because it's ruled by Venus, and, and Venus is good, very good at relating socially to things. But even that social relatingness can be a little bit, sometimes Libra is, is, is accused sometimes of being a little bit superficial in the way that it relates to things socially. So even there, there can be this perception of a little bit of coldness, I think. Is that, yeah, does that make sense? It does. I would say out of all three that that Libra, because of Venus, isn't as cold as you know Gemini or Aquarius, for sure. Yeah. Now that's on paper. I I Gemini has this, I think could could turn in and do anything. So there's this part of the Gemini. Well, it's not part. It is the Gemini story of taking on something else becoming something else uh you know dark light so on and so forth you could look at it that way so i just want to say that out loud yeah i know yeah. we're keeping it simple but uh yeah yeah we're just going for generalities here and and certainly can't be taken as 100 percent all the time and obviously there there can be because everyone's chart it's one of the things i have to i always forget to repeat every episode is everybody's chart is a mixture of a bunch of different qualities and, and placements and traits and different things like that and is going to express in different ways. So one of the things we're doing here is we're trying to isolate one um, archetype as much as we can and talk about it in isolation and talk about the spectrum of different manifestations. But obviously things are, are in reality a lot more complex than any one archetype or, or a manifestation or anything like that. So nobody should take any one quality that we're talking about as gospel or, or like the only way something that can manifest or anything like that. We're just talking about, let's say, tendencies and generalities of like a general direction that things can go as a default and a sort of ranking sometimes of signs that maybe have more of a tendency to go in a certain direction or another. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thinking about the difference between Libra and Gemini, my first thought was that Libra is cardinal air. So there's a quality of wanting to get things started. Mm -hmm. And then when you pull in the Venus rulership, um, a, a tendency to want to move through life in a way that's easy or more harmonious and kind of stokes some balance. 
And to me, there is a quality of Gemini that can not only go with the flow, but become fragmented, indecisive, move here, move there, move backwards, move up. Um, and then also a little bit more of a tolerance for chaos, which uh, Libra would be a little bit averse to because of that need for balance and that need for, for harmony. And uh, an example that very quickly came to mind was thinking about how a couple of summers ago, maybe um, Kanye West was getting in a lot of trouble with uh, you know, news outlets because he was saying very outlandish things. He has a son, Jupiter conjunction in Gemini. And how it was his then wife, uh, Kim Kardashian, who was the Libra, who was kind of coming in to clean up after he had said, you know, certain things, kind of like that PR, um, you know, kind of thinking of like, how can I <laughs> smooth this over or how can I take that chaos of Gemini and capsule it in some way that it's not as, you know, ragged and chaotic. Right. Yeah. Kanye is one of the great contemporary like Gemini Sun and Gemini examples. Um, we do not. We do not have a birth time for him. There's false, probably fake birth times that are floating around for him that have been put out by sources for some reason. Uh, I've spent a lot of like an inordinate amount of time, like trying to track down Kanye's birth chart over the past decade, and this is the closest that we have right now, um, which is that he has the Sun and Jupiter in Gemini, it's opposite to Neptune and probably at least roughly by sign square a Pisces moon. Um, but yeah, that's another example of somebody that's, you know, amazing um, with words and like a lyricist and also amazing with production. One of the things that's really cool about Kanye is he's really good at taking old things and like sampling old songs and then like repackaging them in some way, which is like an interesting um, Mercury type or, or Gemini type uh, skill to have as well. Um, but yeah, he's good at um, creating controversy. And I think as part of what you're saying a little bit, or there can be like a, a chaotic quality sometimes. Absolutely. Or like just blurting things out kind of with no purpose or sure. Uh, yeah. Thinking about the fallout. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that Jupiter right there. Yeah, like that say Jupiter it, say it just, now. just 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 can boom. <laughs> say it you know? loudly. Like, yeah, I think about that TMZ uh, interview when he was exactly. at the offices. Exactly. That was mm. intense, hard hardcore. Where you know, I, he's being he again. He's like the master cipher. You know, he has it in him, but it's he. It's definitely riding the edge uh, of of how the, the Gemini edge. I would say because there's just so many profound things and like his, you know his lyrics in his albums and stuff you hear and the you know people connect to it but on the outside of the music yeah as a person it's just a an interesting journey um go back you're saying you said kim was a libra right yes i was it makes me think about how things were privately because i i you know you think about gemini and libra have this flow together right and they appreciate each other. And the Libra is like, actually, I, I want to hear what you want to say. Like, here, sit down. It's all chill here at the house. And the music's good. And food's good. And just chill, Gemini. Just, just have a seat. Like, just, just stay still for a second, you know? And, and, and then you could see how there a love can happen, you know? But in the end, um, you know, don't know the real reasons why. But obviously with Kanye, that I think that Jupiter there just cannot help but push pushed to the edge and more and whatever he's going to say or do and then creatively because in the end Kanye and his 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 story his challenges so on and so forth but creatively the man's a genius I mean 
he's always have pushed it, you know, and and I like that that differentiation of pushing the boundaries in one way can be like too much, but pushing the boundaries through his artistry is like genius, as you said, it's brilliant work. Yeah, and that, with that moon there, with that Pisces moon there, when when he is dialed in, the visionary, uh, visionary creatively is there. So, um, yeah, and it's funny mentioning um, his now, I guess almost ex-wife um, Kim Kardashian was a Libra, and his previous other major relationship w- with Amber Rose, she had the same birthday and was also a Libra. It's like one of the funny astrological trivia things, right? Yeah, yeah. He needed them to like cool him off to balance him. It didn't work, but they yep. tried. <laughs> yep, but Venus was Venus was trying. Yep. Yeah. So um there can be, but there can be that's part of the connection is like a connection of that socialness and being able to have that um ability to connect people somehow socially, maybe as a quality of the air element that connects Gemini and um, Libra. And then when we contrast that with Aquarius, which is a fixed air sign that's ruled by Saturn, um, we get to a quality that is starting to be a bit different than Gemini because it's much slower. Um, it's a lot more like hard headed and like inflexible. Um, yeah, those are, those are some of the keywords I start thinking about when I'm contrasting Aquarius and Gemini. What are some that you think of? Just like the fixity in thought and like the fixity in purpose, um, that kind of is with all the fixed signs. Like there is a direction, there is an ideal, mm. um, and then with Aquarius and that Saturn rulership, there is also like a purpose. <laughs> mm. And you know, Gemini can be a little bit of uh, a little bit aimless. So there's like the difference between consolidating air into like a a, a package or a thing that is going to uh, create purpose or create meaning. Whereas that mutable air is just like kind of unable to be contained. Yeah. And you were talking about the crystallization of air here too. And, and I, I, it's interesting to me sometimes the way I look at it, you know, um, it's like Aquarius almost takes a little bit of the Gemini and a little bit of the Venus in its way, the need for autonomy and, and for oneself at the same time, stepping in socially and being there, but still needing, wanting the space and the autonomy. And you have the Gemini part that just, you know, has its way of being social. And then there's a Libra part of wanting to balance the room and be social. But that Aquarius there has to have its own world too. Um, and it's very, if we think about in the Saturnian way, you know, it, it's, it's uh, the line is drawn as into what the space is and then where I go to integrate socially. Um, so, um, as yeah, as someone who's, I have Aquarius in my chart too. So I, I, I know this in one way for having this, this, all this Mercury and this stuff going on. I definitely know what it is to like, uh, uh, uh like, yeah, I've had enough of this. Leave me alone. I got to be in my space, you know, like. Absolutely. Same here. Aquarius sun. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a social component, all the air signs, and, and definitely to Aquarius. Um, and sometimes that's helpful thinking of the contrast between like Leo, which is more focused on the self, versus and what happens when the sun is in Leo versus when the sun is in Aquarius and it focus on others or or the collective or what have you. 
Um, but even though it's an air sign and people, for example, sometimes modern astrologers associate Aquarius with Uranus and this notion of it being more rebellious um, or freedom loving or something like that with Saturn and with it being a fixed sign, there can be much more of like an intellectual um, ideologically fixed component of like establishing what one believes and like sticking to it and being inflexible in that in some ways, um, which, is, which is something Gemini doesn't necessarily have as much of. I think of all of the air signs, Gemini is, is certainly the most flexible and the most adaptable of them. Yeah, and the most open to receive new information, even if it invalidates the older information that you had. For an Aquarius, that's like, no, sorry. Right. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Libra at the same time is going to be, in one way, wanting to balance and hear everyone's way of being or opinion, so on and so forth. And Aquarius is like, mm, this is my way, you know, in the sense of, of the fixed part of it. So, um, yeah. Um, Interesting progression if you were to look at it that way, if you, you know, timeline it as in Mercury, Libra, Aquarius. But um, anyway. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So that makes me think of, I'm trying to think of where to go from here in terms of, did either of you, I think Camille, you had some other, do you have any chart examples you want to share or anything that might be relevant to go in that direction at this point? Um. I don't know if the charts I want to share have that Aquarius element in them. Um, I'm checking. That's okay. Yeah, the one I really wanted to talk about was Josephine Baker. Okay. Uh, there it is. I have that chart queued up right here. So for our audio listeners, she had um, Virgo rising with Mercury, the Sun, Jupiter, Pluto, and Mars all in the sign of Gemini in the 10th whole sign house. Yeah, it's a B-rated chart, so we don't know that with precision, but it seems pretty compelling when you kind of look at her life. Mm -hmm. um, so she was an African-American dancer, performer, actor, um, and she got her start uh, street performing, performing kind of just like in her neighborhood, which um, was kind of like the first taste of Gemini I was getting there to like... Um, maneuver the self through places that are familiar or to like start doing things in front of familiar faces or in familiar places, that association with neighborhood. But as she advanced in her dancing, um, one of the ways that she was able to stand out was her humor. Um, she just was a little bit sillier than the other dancers and that um, kind of elevated her in a way. She was more effervescent, she was more agile, uh, very quick on her feet. If you look up her like favorite, um, her famous rather uh, banana skirt dance, like she's just moving very, very quickly. And then the most curious and interesting part of Josephine Baker was that she lived a double life, which is like very apropos for having that many planets in Gemini. And during World War II, she had kind of adopted France as her home base. And she uh, was a spy for the French resistance during World War II. And one of the ways that she was able to gather so much informa information was, first of all, she was so larger than life. It's like, who's going to think that I'm a spy? That's what she said. But in, when she was in those rooms, I think the German uh, embassy and like the Japan Japanese embassy, um, she would really charm people uh, to get them talking, to get them kind of to spill the information that she was, you know, looking after. 
Um, and that's where the mutability or the concept of listening really came in for me because she needed to know what was important to hear and then what was important to then transmit to you know the people that were having her do this. Um, she wrote in Invisible Ink, <laughs> which I just think is like such a tricky and interesting Gemini way of like having uh, to convey a message, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so so that Gemini mutability, um, a performer, a dancer, this African-American woman who beat the odds and then is also a spy. It seems so contradictory, but such is the life of like a Gemini person. Um, a couple more things about her. She, she did... Um, accompanied MLK, who himself is a great orator with Mars and Gemini, but she was also at the um, March on Washington speech with him, and she said something that was so evocative. So to quote her, she said, um, and when I get mad, you know that I open my big mouth and then look out because when Josephine opens her mouth, they'll hear it around the world, which is so um, tenth housey of her. And it's also just that conglomeration of Mars. I'm mad. I have to say something when I'm mad. Jupiter kind of amplifying the message to like people far and wide or like the bigness in what she had to say. So I just thought that was so like, aha, very Gemini of her. Um, she spoke several languages, um, French, obviously, English, but was also kind of a, a world traveler, which I think adding that internationality or that broadness of Jupiter in the sign of Gemini, she kind of made homes wherever she was or created familiarity um, with whatever country she was in. So it's interesting how those two different kind of energies can mix and, and blend. Um, the most uh, interesting thing that I want to kind of end with with her is in the 1960s, she was giving her final performance and she was a little bit ill. And after she completed that performance, she went home a couple of days later. They, they found her. Unfortunately, she had passed away in her sleep, but she had passed away with all of these newspapers around her, specifically newspapers that were... <clears throat> you know, giving her glowing reviews. And I was like, that's so Gemini to just die like a Gemini with newspapers all around you. But then also that celebratory nature of Jupiter, like I'm going to read things that um, are make me happy or that kind of inflate me as being like very, very important. Um, and then, you know, that Pluto, you know, going back to the March on Washington, being able to have tough conversations, racism, prejudice, all of that was still baked into that very effervescent, light, and charming character that she kind of lived and embodied. Right. That's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, an incredible life. You said something that is so dialed in, Gemini. It was, you know, her being able to travel the world and adapt and, and, and to integrate, to talk with people. Um, and that's the life. That's the Hermes Mercury life is the home is the road. It's not necessarily where you start and end. It's the in-between. And this is, she is a perfect example of this. And we're, we're not talking now with technology and what you could do. And now we're talking back then. You know, and as an African American woman, you know, I, and, and a lot of artists, African American artists, they they left the states and they went to Paris and went there because they're you know a different world. But but you know, here's a person who lived on the road, and it's definitely a tenth house person 
so glad we're bringing Pluto in all of this because I, I just think at the depth and level of how she was functioning and in 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 the the spy part of it. Yeah. Um, so Plutonian. This, totally, totally Plutonian. <laughs> this could be a Mars and Gemini episode, by the way, because this Mars and Gemini has right. come up in almost all the charts. It's like, it, it's a very interesting, <laughs> uh, especially for what happens later on this year. Um, I, I have to say this, though. Uh, um, be, well, all the Gemini in this chart, you look, I can't help but look at the Venus Neptune in this. I, I just can't ignore it. It doesn't She's seem like so it's involved. Loved. So loved, mm -hmm. and I'm assuming that when she was wherever she was in the world, charming, talking the languages, there was some good food at the table. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't just some air mercurial thing, that there was a sense of like we were talking about earlier. This isn't pure logic. This is a person who's also coming in with, with their heart and emotional, and the, uh, in a sense, the, the comfort that, that, that cancer can bring. In combination with, with all the Gemini stuff here, this is an incredible life and an incredible person. Um, so just, you know, that's my little quick things here. But definitely, uh, uh, I just like to say one more time, the Gemini life and Gemini home is the in-between space. It's, it's on the road. That's where they live um, or mm -hmm. function. So this is perfect, perfect chart. I've also heard uh, something brilliantly that the Gemini person stuffs many lifetimes into their just one lifetime. So to wear many hats, to do many things and have that just be in one lifetime, uh, spoke to her and spoke, speaks to a lot of Gemini placements that I know and you guys probably know too. Yeah, and you have overlapping lives here. Yeah. In this situation, you, you just, it just overlaps and, and it's, a, I think, a great example of, of a, a mercurial life and in a way, no one's perfect, everyone's got their own personal stuff, but you have uh, something where someone's uh, dialed in creatively for themselves and then also has a connection to the, the greater whole and can change situations, which he did in their messages and relating to people and also being a spy, uh, but first and foremost, like a creative genius, you know, beautiful person. So um, I'm so glad you picked this chart because to just to go back to the fact that the Gemini's get a bad rap, how can you, this this is person right here is not a bad, you know what I mean? She's like, an exemplary it, person. Yes, yes. <laughs> an exemplary Gemini. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Think, yeah, hashtag that. Okay. Hashtag <laughs> exemplary Gemini. Exemplly. Yeah, maybe I we can- I want that to float around. We'll redeem Gemini's. Maybe we can start that, that hashtag of just like- um, People can can see if they can help us find more exemplary Gemini's like that to help help redeem and, and counteract any negative ones because there's there's been some Gemini's I have to say over the past few years that have set Gemini's back like twenty years so <laughs> we we could use <laughs> yeah we could right? use more charts like that yeah we've talked about some of them um, one of the things that comes up that this one reminds me of is that mutable signs in, in the ancient Hellenistic, in the Greek and Latin text, they would say that mutable signs indicate two of whatever they signify, or if they're being contrasted with other signs, they indicate multiple of whatever they signify. Um, and this one was a really good example of that, of her having multiple different careers or having two different lives in some sense. And that notion of there being multitudes is, is really important when it comes to Gemini. Um, it kind of reminded me because this is coming up largely in a in a, like a career context for her, um, but it reminded me of like Frida Kahlo's chart, for example, who has um, Venus in Gemini conjunct Pluto, 
And so it's like Venus and Gemini, it's Leo rising with Venus and Gemini conjunct Pluto and square Saturn. And she, you know, that that's tricky because she had a famously like one major relationship throughout her life to another artist that was a very tumultuous, like intense, um, very passionate relationship, but also a very difficult one with it being conjunct Pluto and square Saturn. Um, but then she also had famously like many different um, relationships and like love affairs during the course of her life in some in some ways that influenced her art and um, different things like that. And I think that comes through a little bit through that Venus in Gemini placement for her. You're, you're referencing, you're talking about Diego Rivera, yes? Yeah, as her yeah, like the, pr yeah, primary, her prominent, primary yeah. relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just, <laughs> I don't know if anybody caught it, but as soon as you said Venus Pluto, I was like, oh, you know, it, that's an intense life. Uh, uh, um, and, you know, eventually she became, you know, she dealt with medical issues uh, in a sense, couldn't be, couldn't move around. Imagine that someone's Venus Gemini couldn't move around. Um, it, it, yeah. Well, she had a very, tough she had kind of a tough chart with like leo rising and the sun is in cancer in the 12th house and it's um it's conjunct neptune i think that's where some of her creativity came from but also it's opposite to that mars uranus conjunction in the sixth and she um yeah famously was in that that trolley car uh, accident or that bus accident and and um yeah got seriously injured and survived but there was a very long recovery process and then had lingering issues from that for the rest of her life. Yeah, I, I'm going to say something to all to this point too, you know, uh, because we've looked at several charts, we've looked at the charts of most of the people that we've looked at have some amazing creative output. Uh, as for a language, as for a piece of art, or whatever you want to call it, I've always have felt that there's also to, you know, the Aquarius archetype, sometimes you, you see like, oh, they're one step of everybody else. They see things ahead that nobody else sees. But I think Gemini has something to this. And there's a long-lasting uh, quality to the messages, and especially if they're coming out creatively, that goes beyond their living life. And every, every all the charts that we've seen, it, we've seen most of them. People who have passed, and Kanye is going to be the same way, even though it's still around. It's going to be the same way. It's just like there, there is a way of communicating things and messaging that that can go beyond generations in the language that just was for a generation. That that the messages that are being said can the, they still come across two hundred years from now? You know, even more. And and I think that's an important thing to, to if sometimes the, the Gemini archetype doesn't have that thing of depth per se, right? And it's true as it, it's in the moment, things are quick and there's the facts and you grab them and you put them together and you put them out there. But on a deep level, th the written word and how it gets etched into stone lasts forever. So, you know, th th there's, a, there's something to all this with Gemini and, and the archetype and the story of what our true message is. So just thought I'd say that. Uh, that makes me think of um, newspapers have been mentioned as a as a Gemini thing. Uh, newspapers, though, because think about it, it's like a, something that's printed for one day and it's only good for that one day and people read it and take in that information and it's important and intensely important for that one day and then it it's not in some ways after that, let's say, or it has a drop off that's very fast. 
or to give a more relatable one for astrologers, something like that is like daily horoscopes, which is like this very small bite size. Let's let's say it's in a newspaper, even though that's quickly becoming like a thing of the past or, or something that may not be relevant to people watching this in like five or 10 years. But let's just say abstractly like a daily horoscope that is a short bite-sized piece of information supposed to tell you about your day and some relevant astrological information. And it's important there's a lot of focus in on it in that day, but then it it does drop off afterwards in terms of its relevance in some way. And I, th- I think there's something relevant there. And there's probably other what are some other like versions of that of something that's like super relevant for a relatively short period of time or or that's like bite-sized in that way is like small but still impactful in the way that it like delivers information in a short period. Uh, kind of makes me think of Twitter. Um, yeah. I think Twitter has a Gemini placement in its natal chart. The first tweet, if I'm remembering correctly, had Mars and Gemini, I believe. Yeah. Tw- yeah. Twitter's first. Tweet. Another Mars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, another, yeah. It's Nicholas definitely. I don't. I don't know the chart you're pulling up the Twitter chart, but it's definitely air and fire. If it isn't, I'd be surprised. So yeah, you're right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and it's funny because that first tweet chart has Mars and Gemini, and it's squaring mercury conjunct uranus and pisces just um, saying anything yeah yeah just <laughs> yeah uh people popping off on twitter or, or getting in trouble or the famous like twitter mobs of like large groups of people getting riled up and like you know going after somebody on twitter or what have you it's all ephemeral it's like a tweet can go viral that's very relevant kind of similar to news because people get news on twitter and then it's like deeply irrelevant in like a week Right. And even the way the algor- algorithm works, like what they're showing you is like, this is recent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The timing and pacing of it too, because if we're thinking about newspapers, you you would get a newspaper four or five in the morning, the cafe would. That means the stories were constructed maybe to a certain point in the middle of the night and it had to go to the machines to get printed out. So, okay, there's the timing. So now with the tweet, if we talk about tw- trends, something can trend and it could, tr- something can completely overtake the news cycle within an hour and two hours. It, it can completely, uh, one trend can go and just disappear because of an, an event. Uh, and so, you know, definitely we're looking at that chart, you can just see the erraticness of it all. Um, and plus, you know, we're also looking at the times that we're living in. Uh, to go back to newspapers, everything was at a different pace. Everything lingered a little bit more, even though. Like you said, Chris, it would just last for the day until the next newspaper, the next issue or whatever came out the next day. So um, the Internet has like exacerbated the pace of Gemini sometimes, like the way things just turn over so constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to say also that 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 doesn't invalidate what you're saying. You were saying earlier, Nicholas, because one of the things is if people do go back and look, you know, historians do. Um, you know, that's those are some of the things that give you the most insight into what was happening at that moment in that like split second of time were those things that were the most relevant and the most the most immediately relevant in that short span of time on that singular day. And those bite-sized things can be, you know, tremendously insightful about what was on the mind of people at that time, even though it's for people that are living their lives, it has a very short sort of shelf life. Yeah. 
what just popped in my brain with all this is when Uranus is going to go into Gemini, not just for the USA chart, but in general for what we're talking about of, of how the messages, how the deliveries get from point A to point B. And, and, and we're talking about two different eras of messages. We started, we're talking about newspapers and we went to Twitter. Okay. We're talking about time and pacing and the time it takes and then the documentation of it and going back and what lasts. But I'm curious what will happen with Uranus and Gemini with all that, the timing of things and, and what messaging is and how that will have some changes coming up to it. Gemini is always going to change, right? But Uranus is involved as- Especially uh, with Uranus, yeah. Yeah, mundanely as a culture, there's a shift that's about to happen. It's already happened. I think we see it. I think we see it too of how we're relating with each other within social media apps. And I think we've hit a wall. You know, and, and as in, uh, was one thing about freedom of, of our expression as what we own, that's all something else. But as in how it happens, again, we had the printing press and the newspapers coming out, and then we have the apps with Twitter and what it is now, but this isn't going to last forever either. And it's cur I'm curious, curious, <laughs> Gemini curious, that, that what is coming next and how will things get from point A to point B? Now, this isn't, it seems like a side note, but cryptocurrency is part of this and blockchain is part of this because of the rapidness of an, an exchange of an, a transaction. And we have to remember this too, that, that Hermes rules the transaction that rules the, the that connective Commerce. transaction. That, yeah. yep. Say that again. Commerce. Commerce. Thank you. Yep. Right. There was a, is it not, not mercurial, but a com real commercial component that was a lot more prominent, especially in ancient astrology that sometimes gets forgotten about in modern astrology, but it was very um, prevalent in, in ancient times. Yeah, I, the rapidness is the key point right now with blockchain, is how fast the transaction can happen with less energy output as possible. And that's mm -hmm. what everyone's fighting for right now to figure out the best way. And that's a very mercurial thing once the system is there, because if we think timeline-wise, the printing press, then there's the Twitter with our apps, and then there's this next level coming. And that blockchain thing is going to be connected to every, it already is, it's going to be connected to every single thing that we do. You and I can make a transaction without a banking system in the middle of it. And it's how fast that happens, and it's going to completely change our world, our culture. So, you know, um, just, just some thoughts I've had about that, just talking about um, messaging. Yeah, for sure. Changes in technology and changes in communication and potentially commerce are pretty straightforward things that we can expect from Uranus and Gemini that are coming up. Although it's a little hard with Uranus because Uranus is always, you know, expect the unexpected. And and sometimes when you try to expect what Uranus is going to be, it, it's actually hilarious how far off we can be because sometimes it's, <laughs> yeah. it's something that's so different that you can't even anticipate or conceptualize it ahead of time because that's literally like the archetype of Uranus is like that that curveball or that thing that comes out of left field that you didn't really even imagine but then it ends up changing everything um so the last time Uranus went through Gemini was um around like 1941 1942 through 1949 so it was really the heart of World War II and just the rapid advances and changes in technology and in um especially in in travel and different things like that but also communications that took place during that time and a lot of that was 
motivated by the world war of course that like rapidly it put much more pressure into those advancements in technology um but then also saw some major changes of course like the development or, and the unleashing of of nuclear power and, and nuclear weaponry at that time uh ended up being relevant wasn't one of the first like tests or one of the tests of the atomic bomb was like a mars uranus conjunction in I Gemini think, or something. yeah i think so um and it's interesting you say this because of what we've been through with covid and what's happened because of covid on a technological level where we we've companies had to adapt like we're on we're, you know zoom and all that stuff and what's going to come out of this when that ingress happens you start to see the results later too you know um so yeah so um if anybody's gonna deal with it well there's one thing about having uranus and taurus okay i'm gonna taurus ascendant i could tell you right now how difficult that is but if anybody's gonna maybe go with the rapid don't know what it's gonna be type it's of thing be the gems right it'll be the gemini's yep <laughs> yep that's a good point so if anybody's most suited to dealing with the rapid changes of uranus and gemini of, of uranus going through as somebody's zodiac sign it's going to be the gemini's who are the most perhaps the most adaptable of any of the signs mm -hmm. yeah. living point. for it actually right like, yeah all right so um we had a list of keywords where i put out a, a tweet and i said what are your keywords for the zodiac sign gemini like i did in the last two episodes and a bunch of people submitted um their keywords and um, Camille, you put these together in alphabetical order. And I'm wondering, there's a lot of them, but I'm almost wondering if it would be useful to go through them. I mean, some of them we've already mentioned or some of them we agree with. I'm not sure. I, I mean, most of them, we, it's not like there's a bunch that we don't. There might be one or some that I, I'm not sure if I w would say for Gemini, but for the most part, they're they're pretty accurate, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So even if it wasn't all ones we would use there's certainly ones that people do mention in connection with gemini or did when i put out that survey um why don't i read through some of them and then we'll just pause or if, if there's one that either of you want to linger on i can pause and just let me know okay all right um keywords on gemini from twitter quote unquote all the words adaptable <laughs> alert amplifying analytical aware banter books both breezy bright bullshitter busy butterflies buzzing bee i like that because bees like buzz around from like flower to flower just like connect, collecting pollen the pollinators yeah um cartoons chaos charming chatty child childhood choices clever colorful common sense connective conversational curious dabbler i like that like somebody who who dabbles in like many different things debate detached dexterous dispersion um dexterous was actually a really good one like um because somebody that is able to do different things or, or was sort of like flexible which can mean flexible like physically but it can also mean flexible like mentally or just adaptable to different scenarios one thing about dexterous that um i always think of is like how people can use their hands like my hair braider can braid things like so 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 fast and how that mm -hmm. that use of hands she's a gemini um can also come through that way yeah 
and talking to you at the same time. Absolutely. Talking about Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. and, and doing that, you know, the multitasking, you know, yeah. that's the key. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And, and also debates, like being debaters and like liking the debate um, and being enlivened by that in some sense. Like if you were to go on a on a like a date with a Gemini or somebody that has heavy Gemini placements, like, like maybe liking that or the process of like flirting, let's say with like Venus and Gemini might be having a sort of witty um, back and forth between two people. Yeah. Like teasing as flirting. Right. Yeah, definitely. That's the deal. Um, but also, too, it, it's not just with the date. It's it's with the hostess and the owner of the restaurant. Right. Uh, you know, same time. And not, and not just it's a flirting with a charming thing, too. You know, I know this is like, you know, I could, you know, you're on a date with somebody with Venus and Gemini. But at the same time, you walk in the room, it's like, oh, you have such a great place to the restaurant owner. It's like, oh, you know, tell the cooks that the meal was amazing. <laughs> right. um, you know, that you know, that kind of a thing. So. Yeah, it's yeah. happening on all levels, and they keep keep doing that all night. And meanwhile, your date's like walking out the door, and you're yeah. still like chatting up everybody. That's that could happen uh, again. It, it we go back to the beginning of this uh, podcast and video about the art of it in in understanding a situation and remembering priorities and who is of most importance. If you Gemini's out there who always oh I can't hang on to somebody, I can't hang on to somebody. I don't know why. It's like well you know there is a priority. Remember that. Like if the most important person in the room, remember who the most important person in the room in your mind, you might think at certain points of the night, that person and that other person were the most important person in the room for those five minutes. But, but just, if you want to hold on to somebody, <laughs> concentrate a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That could be some of the downsides of, of Gemini, like hard to concentrate, hard to stay focused or like uh, having too many spinning too many plates at once. And, some of them inevitably drop. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah, that was something we were talking about in the last forecast of maybe also sometimes because we're contrasting signs that are connected or relate in some way. But another interesting contrast that we, we, we could have done and haven't done as much of in this episode is signs that are in aversion that don't relate because they don't share any of those same qualities. And, and that's where you get some of those disconnects sometimes of um, having different tendencies or different styles. And, and what both of you are talking about right here reminds me of like Mercury and, and Gemini and some of the things you're talking about of um, that quickness and chattiness and things like that and, and being able to chat up multiple people versus let's say Scorpio, which is in aversion to and doesn't share any of the same qualities because it's a fixed water uh, nocturnal or feminine sign and therefore maybe wants to focus more on just one thing and like stick with that or one conversation that it wants to have like intensely with one person um, as opposed to having like multiple conversations going on with different people and that can be part of a, a sense of discomfort or, or or not relating due to different styles. Yeah, the Scorpio on the date with the Gemini would be seething. <laughs> right. Why aren't you paying attention to me? Yeah, and right. only me. Or, or why, why do you keep changing the conversation to like different yeah. topics? Like, let, <laughs> let's stick with this one topic and really get to the heart of it. Yeah, if the Gemini was smart, they would keep their mouth shut mm. and and lend to the uh, air of mystery and not say too much with the Scorpio. Okay. And you let that simmer 
<laughs> the Scorpio is going to chase the mystery. Maybe that should be a whole other episode is like astrology dating tips based on the signs. Yeah. Chemistry with the signs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but yeah, they're aversion to each other. That's legit, you know, but if we're, yeah, there could be another episode. <laughs> okay. Open up Pandora's box there, but yeah. Yeah. How to, how to bridge the gaps between signs. Um, yeah. Because it can happen. I, I yeah. you know, I, let's remember that too. We have everything that we know and learn and then there's things change and we ad adapt and here we are bringing in the other word adaptability again. And, and again, higher level Gemini, if they have it together and they've been studying and doing it right, they can then let's say it was something I said, like, oh, they're going to keep their mouth shut. Like, oh, I know when to not say anything here. And I'm going to yeah. actually not just be teased by the Scorpio, but I'm going to tease, tease them. them. I'm going to bring them along too. And that could be fun, actually. There, there, there's a solution, right? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and, and the point with the aspect doctrine and with the ideas of, of aversion versus affinity is not that signs or different signs or people that are born under certain signs can't relate. It's just that I think it's easier sometimes to relate to somebody else when you share something in common versus sometimes it can be a little bit harder to bridge that gap, but it's not impossible if um, you don't have certain affinities or you don't relate on certain levels right away, but there can be ways around that for sure. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and that that's work, you know, and put in the work uh, certain things there. But yeah, it definitely free flows with other signs. That's for sure. So yeah. All right, back to our list. We're about third of the way through. So um, dexterous, dispersion, diversified, double edged sword, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, duality, duplicitous, dynamic, eclectic. That's a good one. Effervescent, erratic, erudite, exchange, experimental, explore, explore, I want to say, um, extrovert for sure, fickle. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes ex extroverted, not all the time. Um, actually, can I say something to that? Yeah. You know, maybe people don't know this, but... As a Gemini, heavy Gemini, knowing some other Geminis, I they lead a secret life. You know, you'll catch them in the room and they're extrovert, but I'm telling you that they lead a secret life of introversion and walking alone. Mm. It's that walking the road story again. And if, you know, I'm just saying this for people to understand, if they want to get to know a Gemini or understand or will do it, dude, there is another side. Again, there's the other side. And it's 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 an alone, introverted place with their thoughts and the messages that come through. And it's not easy to hold that type of responsibility. It's it's pretty deep, actually. So um, I don't know what y'all think about that, but I agree as someone who lives a double life. <laughs> yeah. Internally and externally. Yeah. Um one of your things, Camille, is that you're a musician in addition to an astrologer. Yeah, and I work for the federal government as well. So three, three things at the same time right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You, yeah. You contain multitudes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and Nicholas, you actually also wear many hats as well, I think, and have worn many hats during the course of your life. I have. Um, I grew up on the restaurant business. I was a professional photographer, I was involved in the music business, so many other things. Um, you know, some of you know, I've been involved in back end 
helping put on conferences. Um, but books. oh yeah, books, astrology books. I know that or some of most of not, I don't know it, but I know of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, as, but I will say, um, you, you, you have to find your moments to know when to stop picking up something else and, and juggling something else. So, yeah. So sometimes that can be, that can be a benefit and a shortcoming is like knowing a little bit about many different things, but maybe not going as far into any one thing as, as one could potentially. Yeah. You know, I've learned from the fixed signs to, to focus in on one thing and to go all the way with it, you know, so, uh, to not have so many things and you know that in your life, you know, one thing I do sometimes on a deeper level is I'll go look at progress mercury in the chart. I will see what's going on with that because sometimes that will be a reflection of whether I or, or a client could, to, could, could, who has maybe mercurial qualities that can juggle many things. And depending on what the progress mercury is doing, if it just stationed or not, whether they're more focused on one thing or not, that's just a side note. But, uh, but I, I think a Gemini and the Gemini archetype has to learn to know the limit um, and, and what it can and cannot do. You know. Yeah, um, Kelly Surtees said something similar on like the previous uh, walk through the signs that you did a couple of years ago, where it's like Gemini can have four options, that's fine, but nine options is like too much. <laughs> so to like whittle down how much you can go between. <laughs> okay, before being like spread too thin, basically. Oh yeah, you get older. You get older. You're not as physically dexterous, let's say. So it's it's the adaptability in that way of knowing what. Okay, where I'm, how can I make the most use of my energy and time and the rapidness and the quickness of things, and understanding that. And and because no one's out of, no one can get out of death. Even even Hermes, who goes back and forth from there, and might have the looks and like look younger to so on and so forth you still can't escape it and it's the gauging of that and and you know what happens in one's mind is things are popping off really quick and fast but your body's not there anymore and that could show its reflection of like how much how many tasks can you do how many lives can you lead at the same time so right. you know it's yeah so that, that may be a lesson though that takes a while because the tendency for gemini is to want to do everything or do as much as possible or wear as many different hats as possible but Maybe that eventually becomes one of the lessons sometimes is running into a wall once you have taken on too much. Yeah, yeah. But then to just kind of speak to the positive positives of that, um, you know, wanting to put yourself in as many experiences as possible, I think speaks to like the openness of the Gemini. And I think one of these words will come up, but like continuing to learn new things or do new things keeps the mind very young. Um, kind of like that childlike quality of like, ooh, what's this? What's that? So like kind of divorced from maybe like career trajectories or like, you know, doing things practically. There's also that kind of uh, existential nature of like being open to learn anything, really. <laughs> of of, of curi curiousness. Curiosity, yeah. Curiosity. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you said that, Camille, because really what you said there, regardless of age, is like the energy rejuvenator for exactly. a Gemini. That's it, the it, life force. It's the yeah. life force. Yep. Okay. So that's that's one of our higher level Gemini archetypes then is is curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And and then a, a bunch of different, like hundreds of different sub significations all come from that umbrella concept of a, of a fundamental curiosity about life. Yeah. Yeah.
all right, so let's go back. And then one of the significations that wasn't on the list, but now this I just added because that brought it up, is just a, a jack of all trades is a good Gemini uh, phrase. It is. All right. Um, fickle, flaky, fleeting, flirtatious, fluctuating, fragmented, gatherer, ghosting. It's a funny modern keyword um, of you know, like talking with somebody, like dating or something, but then just like disappearing. Yeah. Because you're not interesting anymore. <laughs> right. You've lost, they've, you, if you've lost the Gemini's interest, they, they just move on to the next. Yeah, I think a lot of people live in that life because they're going left or right on the swipe. And they're just, you know, it's, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Ghosting, gift of gab, glitter, goof, gossipy, gregarious, group chat, handy, humorous, hunger for knowledge, impulsive, inconsistent, indecisive, inquisitive, intellectual, intelligent, inventive, jack of all trades, which I just added, jokester, learning, levity, light. Keeping things light is a good Gemini term in terms of, you know, yeah. Um, linguistic, manipulative, marketer, media mogul, messenger, mischief, multifaceted, multiplicative, multitudes, myriad, networker, next door, nosy, novelty, observant, on trend. Novelty is a good one, like liking novelty. Yeah, the newness of an experience to learn something is to do something new. Yeah, and that that's prioritized in some way, like the experience of maybe, because for Taurus, that could be another corrective thing, because for Taurus, we, one of the things we talked about in the last episode is there is this um, reveling in or enjoyment of that which is familiar and that which you already know that you enjoy because you've tried it once versus almost a fear of venturing outside of that or a reluctance to venture outside of that because you could experience something that you don't really like and then you have this sense of regret that you could have just done the thing that you liked instead and gemini inverts that because gemini almost has instead the emphasis is on enjoyment of that which is new and that that which does expose you to something that you haven't tried before and that in and of itself being enjoyable or pleasurable in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Let's switch back. Um, novelty, observant, on trend, open, peering, pickpocket, playful. Pickpocket, yeah, we Nicholas talked about that earlier. I've um, done it. I used to do that. <laughs> it used to be a pickpocket? That's awesome. I've done okay. some things that I'm not proud of as a Gemini. <laughs> okay. Are you good at it? Yeah, yeah, I could do it. The, it's not. I've stolen cars before. There's just certain things, you know, on the on the rapid pressure, getting into a car. I've done some things. I grew up in Chicago. One of the things that's funny going back because I was just reminded of this last week, and it goes back to the youthfulness Gemini thing. Is a really good example of that. Is is actually you're a good example of that, Nicholas? Because I often think that you're younger or like a lot younger than you are. And like when you told me your birth data the other day and that you're Saturn and Taurus, oh, yeah. I, I was like surprised again because I always think of us as closer in age, but I'm like Saturn and Scorpio born in 1984 and I'm 37 
and you're how old are you? Oh wow, you're gonna do this. I mean, we've already, your chart's already been up on the screen, and your birthday yeah, is on the yeah. screen. So I'm, I'm gonna like... be 51 in a couple wow. days here. Okay, I wouldn't have guessed either. Right? Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, there's, just, there's, there's all these clinics you can go through, and you could do all types of things to your, you know, to add years. There's also yeah. augmented reality and filters. I'm not using. I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> no, no. no, that's that's <laughs> pure Gemini. It's pure right. Gemini. You want? Listen, I'm not saying this is the 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 tonic that I drink to do it, but the tonic is water. Water, it's okay. hydrating, and and taking care of yourself. And I, I'm. This isn't tangential. It's going to make sense what I'm going to tell you. And this goes into my experience as a Gemini and my client world, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. What I just did is the key for the Gemini is you have to breathe mm. and you have to get air in your lungs to clear your mind. Because if your mind is troubled and your mind is confused, you're not going to start looking a certain way. And your body and your nervous system, which the nervous system for the Gemini is such a huge deal because of the sensitivity and the antenna of reading the observance. One of the key words here was observance. I'll tell you. Your nervous system is connected in such a way and so dialed in antenna-wise that you're there, but you have to breathe. If you want to get deep into this and be dialed in that way, because if you're not breathing, you're disconnected and your mind will trail off and will do funny things to you and things that aren't real and it will affect you physically. So since we're talking about the way I look, I'm not saying that's what it is. It just it is what it is. I'm Greek and Ecuadorian. It could be part of it, okay? So it's like there's that, but it's I'm saying on a Gemini level, since we're talking about I'm not I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical astrologer, but I'm saying air through the lungs, going for a walk, breathing air, especially these days when we're in front of screens. Mm-hmm. And especially a Gemini, someone's Mercurial, you just get locked in and you notice you don't even remember the last time you took a breath, a deep breath. So as for longevity, as for focus, as for higher level Gemini living and life, um, breathe. Sure. Breathe, take in breathing techniques. I don't think we've talked yet about like Gemini and like nervousness, anxiety, like yeah. fidgetness and like deeply connected to the nervous system and how stress is like the number one ager. Right, it like <laughs> makes you age faster. Yeah, so yeah. remembering to take a breath. Um. Yeah, especially these days because the 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 attributes that a Gemini has is the multitasking that we've talked about to be able to do multiple things at once. And you're living in the golden age of this. We are technologically, so you're doing that, but but you're still human. And it's like you have to catch that place. Where you're like, I'm going too far. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just tweaking. And this is for the Virgos too. But it's like, you know, uh, it, but seriously, you're on point there. It's like the, the, that nervous system isn't just your nervous system. It's connected to your intuition, to your digestive tract, to everything. And, and if you want to be on point and you want to be able to be the buzzing bee efficiently, got to yeah, breathe. Absolutely. All right. Let's go back to our keyword list. Um, the next one is Postman, which is actually kind of interesting because I was looking at an article on Patrick Watson's site that he wrote about Uranus and Gemini. And he said that when Uranus was in Gemini between 1690 and 1697, the first post office system was established in the American colonies. So funny little bit of trivia. Um, potential, precocious, 
psychopomp, question, quick, range, rational, ravenous, receipts, re research, shops, silver tongue, sly, smartass, sociable, sparkle in eye, sponge-like. Sparkle in eye, you like that one? Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> yep, I like that one too. The, that mischievous look in the Gemini eyes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah, because I like that reminds me of like, uh, you know, there's that old, um, there's like this old clip of like Nor Norm MacDonald on Conan O'Brien's show in like the 90s, and they're talking, and um, Conan, like uh, Norm MacDonald had been kind of like making fun of Conan's other guest that was sitting right next to him the entire time, and then it sort of calms down and then Conan says something to Norm. He says, make a joke out of that. And um, there's this moment, there's this pause and then Norm like looks at him and Conan knows that he has something, he's come up with something and then he says it and it just absolutely is a hilarious joke. But there's this moment of there's that sparkle in his eye of that. He just thought of something really witty and really funny. And I think that's, that's what that's talking about. All right. So back to, Keywords here. Um, spry, stimulated, student, superficial, swift, talkative, talkative twice, which is actually funny. Teasing. <laughs> that's a typo, but it's it's actually really right. Correct. No, that's um, that's right for squared. sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teasing, the wanderer, thoughtful, toe dipper, transmission. Twins, two-faced, understanding, vata, which means airy in Sanskrit, verbose, versatile, vivid, whistleblower, witty, and words. That's pretty good. That's pretty good coverage. I mean, that actually makes me feel really good. It's funny that we did this at the end of the episode rather than at the beginning like other ones, but I feel like we covered a lot of those at this point looking back on the last two hours. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, I'm looking at psychopomp there and what that means in myth and and also too, you know, the the basic story of Hermes goes into the underworld, has access to the underworld, leads people to the underworld and 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 knows the way back. But usually when you're well, usually when you're leading somebody in the underworld, you're not coming back <laughs> the same. <laughs> so, but just to say that, that thing of the duality, but, but also too of, of what being human is and then the connection to the divine and those messages that come through have to do, come from that divine place, but also have to deal with the underworld story too. And, and, and the gifts that the underworld brings, and it might not seem like that for people, but in the bigger pictures of things, uh, uh, what metaphorical death is and the access to that, the access to that place, that chamber, that's Hermes all the way. And um, Hecate can do it too in myth, but Hermes is the known person to bring people there. So can't forget that. Yep. I wanted to say uh, just one thing about the superficiality and maybe like debunking a myth that Gemini is like the jack of all trades, but master of none. Um, I kind of was thinking about that. I was like, I, I know it's not true that Geminis cannot be experts, but then it 
kind of dawned on me that maybe the route that Geminis take to become that master or to become that expert is like super not linear. <laughs> um, Gemini can have a propensity to kind of wander and take a lot of detours, but there's still richness in that experience. And that can all still kind of play into um, the ultimate kind of knowingness of whatever the Gemini was, was studying. So just another thing to kind of um, flip the notion that Geminis have like a light touch knowledge. Um, they can go quite deep just in like zigzaggy ways. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Because in um, Dorotheus of Sidon in the first century electional astrology text in book five, he says that when mutable signs like Gemini are emphasized in the electional chart, for example, by having the ascendant in Gemini, that the person will start one thing, but then they'll have to start a second thing. And then the second thing that they initiated will have to be finished before the first one can come to completion. Right. So there's this discursive sort of quality to Gemini. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. One last thing that we're going to do was contrast Gemini with the other three mutable signs, which are Virgo, uh, Sagittarius, and Pisces. Um, and we've talked a little bit about the uh, Sagittarius one, but talking a little bit more about Virgo and Pisces and also Sag might be good just by way of contrast. So why don't we start with Virgo, which is also a mutable sign. It's also a, a feminine or nocturnal sign, but the main difference is that it's a earth sign. So part of the a large part of the contrast between um, Gemini and Virgo is, is that earthy quality. I guess actually I misspoke because uh, Gemini is a masculine sign and Virgo is a feminine sign. So that's part of the contrast as well. Um, what are some of the things that come up uh, Camille, or do you think of when you contrast Gemini versus Virgo? Yeah, uh, you touched on it. I was thinking about how that Virgo energy and that Mercury energy in Virgo is kind of like acting on the material plane. Um, I so I think there's more of a lean towards trying to make things make sense, which is like a very earth, uh, you know, fundamental to earth is like, does this make sense? Is this practical? But also something that you said um a couple of years ago in the podcast talking about Gemini as well, which is that Virgo is after this kind of scholarly understanding or like a very technical and detailed understanding that I mm -hmm. think maybe Gemini isn't necessarily uh, thinking about or, you know, interested in, you know, with how it's learning. So uh, Virgo can also be, I think, a little bit more of the critic and a little bit more critiquing there. And I have this feeling that Gemini has this quality of like openness or like understanding or like tolerance for mistakes or like coloring outside the lines that maybe mm. Virgo doesn't have. Yeah, for sure. There's a much more grounded practical quality to Virgo and both of them have that um, ability to focus on small things. Um, but Gemini tends to be, tends to move on a little bit better instead of just sticking with that. Whereas Virgo tends to, focus on the small details and see the cracks and things of the minute ways in which there's an error, there's a problem with something or ways in which it could be better. Yeah. There's that thing too, of wanting it to be like refined a little bit more. And I, I think because of being an earth sign wanting, you know, you're kind of taking certain things and then transforming it into something else that that's mundane. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the refinement of Virgo, which I so love that sign. I, I, I so love that sign. My heart goes out to him too, because 
I don't think they get enough credit for what they take on, uh, the responsibility that they even take on themselves to deal with that refinement that we're talking about. Um, is a lot of pressure. <laughs> on and that. it requires so, humility, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Perfect. I'm going to try. Yeah. 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 But definitely the difference, that's a big difference from, from what the Gemini, the way the Gemini is uh, running, walking in the world. So, yeah. So, um, Virgo is much more practical, uh, whereas maybe Gemini is a little bit more like abstract knowledge. Um, Virgo is a lot more applied, grounded knowledge, but also uh, one of the keywords you just used was like helpfulness. Uh, what are some other contrasts between those two? I, I think the contrast too is because we're talking when you had the chart up about masculine feminine mm -hmm. i just think that's a major part of it too of how the virgo is going to move and use its energy um and you know compared to the so-called masculine mercury or gemini the way it's moving at things then you have on by definition the receptivity of the feminine of virgo so how they're how they're both moving mercurially is different um and and so I don't, yeah. you know, I know we're talking about basic definitions here and that they don't just stop there, but I think that's a, that's probably the biggest differentiator to me is that. Yeah. Um, so there's more of a contemplative quality of uh, Virgo, whereas Mercury and, and Gemini is more, you know, emitting things and putting words out there. I don't think you have as much of that um, talkative quality with a Virgo that's constantly like putting words in the air necessarily. And that's one of the differences just between, you know, air with uh, Gemini rises upwards versus earth falls downwards. Um, and just that sort of directionality of like an internal versus an external expression of, of Mercury. That's a great way to put it, the internal, external. Uh, if the busy bee is going around in the garden, well, the Virgo's more specifically in the part of the garden and more dialed in yeah. uh, in a certain way. And, and there the mutability happens within the dialing in part, going back and forth and tweaking and, and, and looking at those cracks and patching them up and going back and forth there. But that, I think that's where the mutability's happening, but the receptivity and, and a little bit more of, a, of the internalized uh, focus that you were talking about. So um yep yeah and virgo seems like it excels a little bit more of staying a little bit more even though it's a mutable sign with one thing and just really learning how to do that one thing as well as it can and doesn't need as much change and uh going back and forth or holding multiple things i think is as gemini does yeah and thinking about how virgo wants to refine and get things um, as close to perfect or as close to ideal as possible. It's kind of like the way that they approach it is mutable. Like the way that they're approaching that problem solving from like this point of view, that point of view, that tool or less of that, that can be more of that internalized uh, mutability with Mercury there. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. God, I kind of wish I was a Virgo now. After <laughs> <laughs> living, I'm like, that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Pluto and Virgo. Um, so when when we get to when we get to the Virgo episode, we'll talk about some of the downsides of of some of that. Um, let's go on to even though we've already talked about this, the contrast now between Gemini and Sagittarius, um, and also how 
Pisces relates to that because Pisces is the other sign that's opposite to Mercury's other ruled sign, which is Virgo. And so we see some commonality there as well. Um, so one of the major differences between, let's say, both Sagittarius and Pisces versus Gemini is, again, just that big picture stuff versus the small immediacy of of Mercury and Gemini. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like to think of Pisces as a consciousness, which is something that's just beyond thought and not necessarily, not necessarily things that the Gemini mind can uh, articulate or understand. It's just something that's moving in the background of our reality that kind of ebbs and flows as we move through life is more Piscean. Yeah. So as a, as a water sign, there's a, an emotional component there that's sort of missing from uh, Gemini to some extent, which is more intellectual. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I think that's pretty good since we've already talked about quite a bit the um, opposite sign of Sagittarius and things like that. Maybe that's good in terms of contrasting the four mutable signs. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, well, I think that's really bringing us to the end of this episode. Then we've covered a ton of different significations. We've gone through some great different example charts. I'm not seeing any major ones that I meant to mention that I'm going to really be kicking myself for afterwards. Um, you know, there's a few like stand up comics and a few people that are good at doing radio or podcasting, which is really just having a ability to think quickly and engage in conversation and, and use that to their advantage. That seems to be one of the great Gemini um, abilities or, or superpowers in some sense that can be used for good or for ill. I was going to say there's one chart example I think I would be biting myself over if I didn't mention it. And okay. it's Shakespeare. It's William Shakespeare. And the birth date is in question, but I looked and both Venus and Neptune were in the sign of Gemini. And Shakespeare is this person who a lot of people don't know created and made up so many words. And mm -hmm. kind of going back to what Nicholas was saying about how that Gemini storytelling can um, affect people or like uh, move beyond the life of the person that used it. Um, Shakespeare is kind of like uh, ebbed into our zeitgeist kind of permanently. And it's so funny that his Neptune was in Gemini. He imagined up these words. It came through plays and sonnets, which is a Venusian type of medium. Um, and those two planets were uh, opposing Uranus. So then we get that quality of like, I'm going to create my own words. <laughs> mm. I'm just going to put things together. And yeah, uh, they become things that we use currently and may not even know. Yeah, I would actually consider Shakespeare subversive, actually. Yeah. Um, a lot Uranus of what part. he was sneaking in at the times culturally and what he was pointing out, even with just the way people lived and, you know, it's subversive and smart alecky, really. He was a smart yeah, ass. ass. Yeah. yeah, he was a smart ass. <laughs> that was a key word. We got one of those. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was just looking really quickly for other Neptune in um Neptune and Gemini people. And one of the ones that brought up that I've used as a Venus Mercury conjunct ascendant in Libra example is the famous poet T.S. Eliot. But it was interesting. It brought up that he also had a Gemini moon, moon and Gemini nice. conjunct mm -hmm. that Pluto and Neptune and Gemini. Yeah. Yep. These peoples who their words kind of like capture the public imagination and like just live on through that. 
Right. Yeah. Well, and then you, if no one caught what Chris said during this episode about containing multitudes, you know, you're, you're referencing Walt Whitman and, and I <laughs> know that was on. Yep. So like everything he wrote is like is sort of a riddly kind of riddle, like sometimes in a way, but easy to understand and the process that the way of the, the functioning of the words. So, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. Well, I think that's it then for this episode on Gemini. Thank you both so much for, for joining me to cover the third sign of the Zodiac. I think this sets a really good, you know, I'm still exploring and like getting used to and, and learning how to go through this series, but this is a nice next step in that. And it's been nice to see the evolution of this series as I'm going through each of the signs. Um, so I want to talk, talk to both of you about where people can find out more information about your work. Um, Camille, where, what's your website and where can people find out more about you? My website is camillemichellegray.com. Um, there'll probably be like notes in the YouTube video about how to spell those things. Um, mm -hmm. but on there you can find, uh, you know, consults and different things that I do. I write very periodically on there as well. Um, and I also have a very active Twitter presence and my handle is at Millie Michelle, M-I-L-L-Y-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. And you do consultations, you've written um, art articles before, and at, at some point you're, you're thinking about doing a podcast? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> this okay. one went so well that maybe I'll actually start doing it sooner, but we'll see if my Gemini ideas can catch up with reality. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I definitely want to encourage you to because I think that would Thank be you. amazing. And people can let us know in the comments below this on YouTube if they'd like to see that. I agree. I think you should do a podcast. The way the tone of your voice, oh. th there's a there's a flow that you have. You're perfect for it. Oh, you, thank you. It. Since we're talking about communication and influence style, you got it. You have. I'll give that to my Taurus moon, those silky vocal cords. Yep. <laughs> well, and you're also a gifted writer because that's how you and I thank first you. met was you, you've yeah. written a lot of articles on, on Reddit and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. And Nicholas, what's going on with you? You've got a website and you've also been doing a YouTube channel recently, right? Yeah, I uh, started pushing my YouTube channel at the end of 2021. Um, and my website is sparklesofgold.com. My, my videos up there. I started a podcast at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's called the Sparkles of Gold Astrology Manifesto. Yeah, doing that. Um, I'm on Twitter, IG mostly. I'm on Pinterest. Can you believe that? I'm on Pinterest, <laughs> TikTok. You're on all the I'm doing it. I'm seeing where it lands. But yeah, you, you have my YouTube there. Um, uh, that's been my world is learning YouTube and doing it and putting messages out there. And I love it. I love doing it. And uh, I love doing the podcast. And to go back to you, Camille, I, I really, you you're totally got your back on this. You'd be amazing at it. And, 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 yeah, and I'll I, have I, you. I'll have you on. Yeah, yeah. We'll do the exchange. We'll do the exchange, which is so famous in the podcast world. So I've been doing that. Um, uh, yeah, sparklesofgold.com. Uh, the other thing is um, I'm also part of putting on the ESAR 2022 conference that's happening in the end of August outside of Denver. I'm working alongside Laurel Nabandian, who asked me, who hired me to help. Um, so officially, I'm doing many tasks for that conference. Uh, from selling ads to watching over the AV part, whatever it takes, whatever Laura asks, 
Um, and yeah, and we've had some great changes happen actually in the last 24 to 48 hours. Um, Austin Coppock's going to be there speaking now, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, thank you for putting that up, Chris. So there's that. I'm part, you know, part of that. And, uh, yeah, that's about it with, with my world right now. So cool. Well, yeah, I think, um, I'll put links to both of your websites, uh, in the description below this video on YouTube or on the astrologypodcast.com website for the entry for this episode. So people can go there to check out both of your websites. And I definitely recommend following both of you just cause I'm sure both of you are going to be doing cool stuff already are and will be in the future. And I look forward to, to seeing it. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot, both of you for, for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. That's it. So we'll see you again next month for the episode on cancer at some point once we moved into, into cancer season here in the next few weeks. So thanks a lot for watching and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, and Jake Otero. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrology podcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code astropodcast15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. And finally, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the AstroGold Astrology app, which is available for iPhone and Android. You can find out more information about that at astrogold.io. There's also a major astrology conference happening this year that's being hosted by the International Society for Astrological Research. And that's happening August 25th through the 29th, 2022 in Westminster, Colorado, 
You can find out more information at isar2022.org.